Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, 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 Tom Brenneman obviously is still not here. For those that ask every single show, he's dealing with a vocal cord situation. And um, I don't know how many more shows that I am going to explain that, but this would probably be the last one. So, again, Tom is dealing with a vocal cord situation. I am Trace Fowler, and welcome to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. What's funny about the uh, the intro there is that it's almost like Tom is the one that uh, – he was the pioneer of how you introduce United Dairy Farmers. So I'm just going to stick with that until he gets back and or I uh, maybe I, I find a show myself one day that is presented by United Dairy Farmers and I'll do it the same way. All right. Well, as many of you know, we come to you Monday through Friday. 10. Hey. Nice job, guys. Way to keep it up. Nice job. Nice job. Really good. 12. P. All right. We're doing really good now. We're on our way. I feel like we're a kindergarten teacher. All right, well, you can join us in a multitude of ways, as you know. I know that many of you do, but maybe you don't. If you don't, well, you can jump on to YouTube and search Chatterbox Sports off the bench, and you can find us in, I mean, when I say literally every single podcast form, I mean literally every single podcast form. There's so many podcast platforms out there now that I don't even really know how it makes sense, but yes, we're on Spotify. Yes, we are on uh, Apple Podcasts, and I'm pretty sure Google has podcasts, and again, there's a million others, so you can find us there. Well, the headlines in sports at this very moment don't really revolve around sports much, do they? Wander Franco's situation has become more and more muddy by the minute. We'll get into that. And then you have Michael Orr, who has basically came out and said the blind side is a total lie. A total lie. Which makes you wonder sometimes how it gets that far. We'll get into that and how it even got to this point and where those things are. We had a very, very spirited debate. One in which we started to, uh, we don't make things personal around here, but we certainly, uh, we, we toe the line. We start yelling and screaming and, and, and getting upset about really relatively nothing. And we got upset, if you want to call it that, about what the top five sports moments in Cincinnati were this past year. We'll do the best five moments. We'll do the worst five moments. We'll see if you agree with us and we'll see if you want to take a side on, I don't know, maybe I don't want to say my side or their side, but that's kind of what it feels like. I think Elliot's on my side, but he hasn't really had the, the, the courage to come out and admit it yet. Well, we'll I'm saying for the show. I'm saying these guys, you know, these guys waste all their energy before the show and I'm just sitting here like, what are we doing? We're going to have to have the same conversation in, a, in an hour. So yeah, that's what I was waiting for, but we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Sorry I interrupted. That's all good. All right. Well, Dalvin Cook, Dalvin Cook, by the way, there is some sporting news. Dalvin Cook is going to the Jets. Uh, shout out Hard Knocks. I'm sure they're going to appreciate that. And uh, Zeke, Ezekiel Elliott, a guy that was rumored to go to the Bengals, and that was for not. He goes to the Patriots of all places. And how does that impact the league, if at all? I'm sure Reed Mouse will tell you how it doesn't it matter doesn't. at all, and it'll be irrelevant, of course. Reds play the Guardians tonight at 640, and I'm sure that'll be a topic of conversation before the show is over. But nonetheless, fellas, uh, let's get into it. I want to start with uh, maybe the heavier topics, per se, first, because I think uh, it's, it's always more fun to end a show on a lighter note. I'm sure yeah. the top five moments will break up the monotony of these two relatively, and I say relatively heavy, because I think right now... Um, the Wander Franco situation, I don't 
love talking about these types of things because I don't believe for one second that the truth has really made its way or, or, or at least showed itself to the public yet. There's obviously investigations going on currently by MLB. MLB has decided, and I don't know the, the correct term off the top of my head, but the MLB and the Tampa Bay Rays, I think they put him on what is called the restricted list, which is basically a fancy term for saying that you're no longer part of the team because of legal situations, and we're going to wait until we see how this all plays out before you're admitted back to that said team. Wander Franco, a really good player. The Rays, a really good baseball team. How much that impacts the league as a whole, I don't know. But obviously the Rays are going through it right now, and they have a situation that is without question going to be looming over their clubhouse uh, for quite some time. And how does that impact one of the best teams of baseball? Time will tell. But more importantly, I think something that we should discuss and that I think is relatively insightful and, and should be discussed is what is the relationship and if is there one between what the legal situation should be between players and I don't want to say our government, but the legal system as, as a whole and the league's in general, right? You have the John Morant situation earlier this year. It always feels like to me, and I don't know how we got here. I understand probably why, because of the culture we live in. It's a very, very reactive culture. It's a culture in which you want to have the answers right now. You don't want to wait. You feel like that as, as soon as something happens, the answers have, they have to have answers. And I don't really think that's the way that things should be. I think that our government although I don't know if they get it right all the time, I think that the judicial system has a little bit of a length of time built into it to try to figure out and give yourself enough time to come to a rational decision. You don't want to overreact. I think 24-7 news, social media, requires most people to try to react immediately. Wander Franco, for the rest of his life, is going to have memes about this 14-year-old girl. And to be fair to the 14-year-old girl, I don't know if, she was, uh, and again, whether that's whether you want to say it's sexually abused, whether it was being manipulated, whether she was being taken advantage of, all these things, in my opinion, have not come out to fruition. However, fellas, I don't know where you're at with this. There's two, there's two layers to this onion that I want to peel back a little bit on. One is, what is the responsibility of the leagues when a legal matter arises I understand that maybe you can't completely default to the legal system as a whole and just say, well, we're going to wait until the legal system plays its course and then we'll make our decision. I think that's the safer play, in my opinion. Would leagues get crushed for doing that is the question I have for, for the room. Well, the league, league has two responsibilities, and one of them that it shouldn't the, the, the league shouldn't be a, a moral compass in, in the sense of it shouldn't be just arbitrarily deciding who can go on this restricted list, who can not play, who can play on a whim. But the league also has a responsibility to not get in the way of justice and, you know, legal battles and stuff like that. So if if Wander Franco playing for the, the Rays hinders an investigation, if it hinders any legal circumstances whatsoever, then absolutely he shouldn't be allowed to play. That's just that's just simple because there's more important things in the silly game of baseball that we watch every single night. But so, so I guess essentially, if if him not playing helps them get to the end of the road of this of this legal battle, then yeah, he shouldn't play. Point blank. There's more important things than this game of baseball that we play. If you're gonna convict somebody, right? I, I think right now this is these, this is all accusation. The Rays are losing their best player for at least a series, maybe two series. 
And again, I hope this isn't true. I really do. I hope it's right, not right. true. But if it's not true and you just suspended this guy, which is what this is, suspended him without pay for two series, six games at least, this is this that becomes an issue to me. I think that's an issue if you if you if there's no evidence to back it up, if there's no proof, if they know something that we don't know, which most of the time I would say that's probably the case, that the leagues and the team and, and, and Wander Franco himself, they know what's about to happen. So that's that's what they're getting the world prepared for. They're kind of erasing him before the, the damage is done. But again, if it's not true, like I hate to bring it up, but the, the kicker the kicker last season, the you punter. You beat me to yeah, it. The, the, the punter who was just, I mean, his life was destroyed. He can't play in the NFL ever again. I mean, it's just, it's just a brutal story, right? If he did do it, he's the worst person ever, but he ended up not doing it. The league, the Bills, they threw him under the bus. He's not going to play again. So I think that's where it becomes an issue. And I don't know. And again, Trey said it, but I don't know where. I don't know how you how how you solve this issue. But eventually, it's going to be a problem, right? I, I think this is a little bit different than the Trevor Bowers thing, because Trevor Bauer, we know he did it. There's just a gray area of 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 someone's moral code, I'd say it, right? I, I yeah, think that's, no, that's, that's a that's good way issue. of putting it. This is so this is so vastly different. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is an issue if this. If this turns out to be untrue, I would say Wander Franco is a serious gripe with the MLB. A well, serious gripe. He could he could certainly sue them if, if it turns out to not be true or the Rays for you know docking pay and not letting them play. But like Michael Ackley puts in the chat, you just rather be safe than sorry. You you're you're protecting yourself so you're not on the wrong side if the thing if the thing is true. If it's all true, you don't want to be known as the team that that let a that let. Whatever I get Wander that. Franco's Here's my only point play. to Michael and everyone else. At what point does the does the does the crime of punishing someone that's innocent also fit the same crime of punishing someone that is guilty? That's the problem that I have. He brought up the point of the punter. I don't know the kid's name off the top of my head, but I also bring up I also bring up others. This isn't the first time someone's accused somebody that has also been financially wealthy. Okay? And again, let me be very clear when I say this. I'm not suggesting, I guess I am pointing out, but I'm not suggesting 100% that the 14-year-old girl is setting up Wander Franco and 100% had nothing done to her. But you can also use a rational mind here and say maybe, just maybe, the guy's 21 years old, 22 years old, excuse me, is a multi, multi, multi-millionaire, could have been co co coerced and or fooled into some schematic way to try to uh, basically bribe him for money. And that's what has been told. That's the story that's been told already in the news, is that they offered Wander Franco hush money to make this go away. He said no. Maybe because he's innocent. Maybe it's because he's innocent. I'm not suggesting he's innocent or guilty, but I'm saying, how come every single time something happens in the United States of America, we immediately jump to the victim and assume that they are always 100% telling the truth? So you suspend the guy with pay, right? And then you automatically just assume that he's guilty before you even have one, one ounce of evidence. And you can sit here and tell me the MLB knows more. Or they're playing it safe. Well, they've missed on. They've missed. You can say that they. I listen. The Trevor Bauer thing is a whole other uh, uh, worm. If you a can of worms. But my point is, is they weren't on the right side of that decision. In general terms, the legal matter of the of the situation came to be that. Nothing really happened. And the truth is, is what Elliot said, is there's a lot of gray area there. 
there was consensual situations in that situation, but you could argue from a moral standpoint, it's still not right. That's a whole nother point. But the 14 year old that we're claiming is 14, you'd be very clear. We're assuming that she's 14. Also is assumed right now to have a 20, I think it was 18 to 24 month old child. At 14, by the way. If, and, and again, I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be, I'm just pointing out the both sides here. There's a little bit of truth to both sides. Should Wander Franco even be in a relationship of a situation that's even close to 14 or 16 or 18? Probably not. But I also think there's a, there's a vast difference between going out one night with an assumption that somebody is of legal age, having somebody then bribe you for money and say that you don't want to give them money, and then it turns into this whole slew of things that you are some serial minor rapist. So I'm not, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to say that Wanda Franco should be, should be, should be held without responsibility. It's no big deal, blah, 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 because the girl has a, a 24 month old child. But again, I think that you could make assumptions that that's not a normal 14 year old girl, if that's the case. And he also, I also want to know that 100% it's 14 and also 100% that it's not what I'm trying to say is that, that it is 100% true that that's the situation before we just automatically assume that you're taking the guy. Again, I guess my point is, is that when, when I hear someone tell me, you better play it safe than sorry. Well, it's like, then you're just assuming that Wander Franco's rights don't matter. So if Wander Franco is completely innocent, you rather just automatically assume that somebody else that you have no clue about, they get the right, but the other person doesn't get the right. And maybe that's just why the legal system that we've built in our country probably works out for more times than not. It probably has stood the test of time because it's the most fair and equitable way you could possibly go about deciding on what's right and wrong. You don't just, the, the, the courts don't just come out after one day, take a couple news clippings and automatically just say, well, that's the decision. We're sticking to it because that's the court of public opinion. That's not what the league should do in my opinion either. The league should have a little bit more grace period, in my opinion, on what the facts are. And you can say they know all the facts that, they don't know the facts that quickly. If they do, they should all work for the FBI that fast then. That's how I look at it. If you think the MLB knows everything about this situation within a 48 hour time frame or 24 hour time frame, then I think you got your head in the sand. Now, again, I'm not suggesting for one second, I'm not suggesting for one second that Again, somebody might clip this and say, well, Trace is defending a rapist. I have no clue about the situation. I'm arguing that I'm sick and tired of hearing about somebody accusing somebody of something. And automatically, the public, the internet, and again, I know we live in the society, but we just automatically assume they're guilty. You're guilty until proven innocent so far in the court of public opinion in this country when it used to be you're innocent until proven guilty. Fortunately, for all of us, if we get accused of something, the government and the way that the legal system works doesn't automatically do that, but we do that in society. So for, for, the, for, the, for the rest of time, if it comes out that this girl's lying, she's not telling the truth, or she's of age, which is also possible because nobody knows, Wander Franco will be living that with that for the rest of his life, 100%. Every stadium he goes into, there will be one clown, there'll be one person that wants to scream and yell about this situation, when in reality, the, let's not forget, this all could have went away, I'm just telling you the truth, this all could have went away if he paid her off. But he decided he didn't want to pay her off. It seems kind of odd to me, and maybe he's an idiot, because if he did it and he didn't pay her off, well, then you could argue that he's, a, he's, he, then he's the ultimate idiot. 
However, I also have a suspicion that maybe he just said, you know what? I didn't do this. I'm not, I'm not going to give somebody money that doesn't, one, deserve the money and also is a scumbag for even trying to get my money. So, again, we'll see how it all plays out. But if it turns into the punter situation, at some point I'd like to see the other side of this being held accountable for the repercussions that they've done. Because more times than not, right, the person that, that accuses somebody of doing something in their – and I'm again, Duke lacrosse is another example, but that's a, that's a long time ago. But nothing happens to these people that accuse people of doing something, and then they, they hold them from being able to be employed. They ruin their careers. For most of the time, they ruin their careers, and they certainly hinder their life, and nothing comes of it. So a few things. One, this is a tough situation for everyone involved, right? The, the MLB is in a catch-22 type of situation. Someone put that in the chat. You know, if, if it turns out that this is true and they let Wander Franco play, well, they just, they just let – a rapist of a 14-year-old play for, for multiple weeks. Go on. Secondly, if they don't let him play and it turns out not to be true, well, then they, you know, went against Wander Franco's rights for and, and didn't let him play. But as someone put in the chat, as someone brought up recently, the restrictive list, and I said this earlier, is just so that baseball doesn't get in the way of the investigation. You know, I don't know what's going on with Wander. I don't know where the investigation's taking place, whether it's overseas, whether it's right here. But if it is overseas, he's probably got to go back to that country to get investigated, and he can't play baseball anyways. And, you know, I think we can all agree that this investigation supersedes baseball at the very moment, at least in Wander Franco's situation. If it turns out not to be true, then, yeah, it's a bad situation that will forever tarnish, and there's, there's no good, good way out of this. You're just trying to find the most good way, and the, the quickest way to get to that is by investigating it thoroughly, figuring out what's right, what happened, what's going on, and then letting the dominoes fall afterwards. That is very fair. Uh, and, 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 and I'm not suggesting that, that when I say that he shouldn't be suspended, what I mean by that is I'm not so sure that you take a man's pay away automatically if you don't know, the, if you don't know what's going on. And, I, and, and he I, says he's still getting paid. Okay, well, if, if he's still getting paid, then that changes things for me. But I, last time I checked, he was, he was put on the restricted list based off of the reports that I had seen that he was not getting paid. But, but, that, but aside the point, the other thing, the, other, the last point I want to make here before we get into Michael Orr is that, is this. The reason that we have jail time, sentence time, prison time, whatever term you want to use for crimes committed is to deter people from doing them. That is pretty much the mere point of our jail system in prison sentence system. At some point, there needs to be accountability on the other side of accusations. If they're, if they're, if they're vividly a big lie and you can prove they are a big lie, if it's one of those things where it's, it's like, it's like Trevor Bauer situation, quite frankly, where, you know, it's gray. There's not enough really to, to convince yourself on one side of the aisle to where one party is hundred percent guilty and one party is innocent. If it's a little gray, then maybe you, you keep it moving like you have been in the past. But the, the thing is, is like, if you're able to extort multimillionaires because you come up with some schematic way to lie and, or come up with a way in which you can cause this huge legal battle, then what's the deterrent for people that are desperate? That's, that's the, that, I don't say that's a slippery slope, but that's the concern that I have with many of these situations right now. All right, that's enough about stuff that's not really sports. I know that it's, it, it's, it's one of those things where when it's a headline, as big as a headline it is, it's all over social media. You run a sports talk show. You have to at least bring it up, in my opinion, and discuss it. I'm going to give you as much of a rational point as I can make. And, and I don't want to say challenge you in thinking, 
But in a little bit of a way, I'd, I'd like to think that the show is better when it makes you think a little bit. It makes you consider the other side of things. And my side, uh, uh, if you want to call it that, is not picking sides one or the other. It's just being fair and equitable to both sides. Um, the next topic of conversation is, is pretty damning. Um, I don't know. I don't know how it got to this point. That's the thing I keep coming back to. I don't know how it got to this point. Um, this situation is almost sad no matter, it is sad no matter what, because it, at, at the very forefront of it, right, you thought you, had a, you thought you had a story that was inspiring, if anything, about a, a young man that needed guidance in his life and help in his life, and there was a family that decided to step up to the plate and um, support the young man. And that young man went on to be a really good football player that turned out to be obviously a NFL player. And it's this happy-go-lucky story. Well, it turns out that now it seems as if Michael Orr, the uh, at one time tackle, I believe he was, for the Ravens, Ravens. and he played at Old Miss, has accused the Tuies. Yeah, the Tuies. Thank you for the term. I guess that'd be their last name. The Tui, they, they, they accuse the Tuies of, of basically, uh, a dis, uh, what's the right term of even using here? I, they, they basically fooled him. They in, exploited in, him. They exploited him. That's they the word exploited him, yes. yes. That's the word you're looking for. They exploited him. And, and I, I guess this is another situation where <laughs> there's so many questions I have. One question I have right off the top of the rip is, why now? which I guess maybe that'll come out, but what's the point? And, and it, maybe you guys have that answer or you, you've heard of the reasons as to why, but why did it take so long? Is it just because um, Mike Lore was so dedicated to his craft and his profession that he just, just didn't really care? He wasn't focused on this situation at hand until he gets out of the league, and then once he's out of the league, he has time to settle on it, realizes that this is a big, you know what, situation. Some would say effed up situation, and he's like, you know what, I'm going to go after these guys. Because I think that they, I think they took advantage of me. Well, from from the get go, ever since that movie came out, Michael Orr has said like, "This is a terrible characterization of me." Like, he's he literally had to go out and say, "I can read. I have seen a bed before." <laughs> like, like all these things that this movie like portrays him to be. And, and though they're they're not all bad, they made him seem like a soft hearted, you know, very talented individual. But they also make him seem very dumb. They make him seem like he came. From, from absolutely nothing. He's like, I, I've seen a bed before. Like, the fact that you have to come out in, in the press and be like, yeah, I knew what a bed was before before this rich white family yeah. took took me in. It's a bad it's a bad situation. It, it really is. Um, I, and more than anything, it, it, it just it ruins the movie. It's a good well, movie. I, I, think, I think he's coming out now because he, he the rumor or the report is he just found out about... How much money they got. How much money... All like the children got like all the ch like the the Sean Tui uh, is the kid. He sings uh, that song with him in the truck right before the the accident. What a movie, by the way. What a great yeah, what movie. A movie. I mean, it's just a great movie, and they have this all come out. But the report is that all the kids and the family profited like I think the number was like two and a half percent or three percent of the movie's like total earnings, which made like three hundred million dollars. <laughs> so and Michael Orr got none of it. Michael Orr just got zero dollars from it. And if that's the case. That's tough. That's a tough one. It's, it's, when a movie's about you and you, yeah. you, you reap none of the benefits, that's not good. But Reed, Reed's right. He's, he's been against this movie since the, literally since the, since the premiere. 
He's hated this movie ever since the beginning, and this just adds on to it. I, I also think there was there, – I mean, I think they were a family. I think they cared about each other. Right. I do, I, I do think yeah, that I agree. was a part of it. So before you tear your family apart, you, you probably should get like get, get the facts straight a little, a little bit, right? So I think that was, was what was going on. I think Sean Tui said yesterday that he's always going to love Michael. There's always love. But I think just recently he stopped talking in the, in the group chat, the family group chat. So, yeah, this is heartbreaking. I mean, it's hard. this is my guy. This is my guy, Michael. The Tuis were great. Sandra Bullock, she was such a good mom. She was such a good mom in that movie. I mean, only you can bring levity to the situation. Tim McGraw, Tim McGraw. I, when he, you know, when he sang that song in the movie, it was great. I think when he was singing, you know, uh, what, a, I, what I was gonna say, what a turnaround for Tim McGraw being yeah. the dad in football movies. Seriously, from Friday Night Lights to that one, just two different, <laughs> two different dads. You didn't see him taping a football to Michael Orr's hands. No. He was just giving him Taco Bell every night. That's right. That's that's a hilarious story too. But yeah, listen, I, I I enjoyed I enjoyed it, but unfortunately, it's untrue. Just like most Hollywood movies, I'd say. That's the that's where like this gets a little a little weird for me because obviously there are so many untold, you know, and I say untold, basically falsehoods that they decided to depict within the film, that they realized at some point Hollywood realized during this endeavor of a film. They, they took on the script because they're like, oh, this sounds like a great story. And they probably started doing their research and they get it. They got more and more into the weeds. And they realized that this probably wasn't as dramatic as they would want it to appear or be. So they started stretching the truth, obviously, sure. on a significant amount of things, which is where the problem in lies, in my opinion. When you say it's a true story and then you have the little small font that says that there are things that have been exaggerated in, in, in whatever, whatever term they use, then it's like... You, you, you have to, there's a little bit of a, in my opin, opinion, a little moral line in the sand on how far you kind of stretch the truth. And it seems like they went a little above and beyond that truth because mm -hmm. they wanted to tell this crazy story that just wasn't ever there. The other part of this that's sad for me, before we start moving into more fun discussions, is this family, the two, he's like, they obviously took care of him at some point. I don't think at the beginning of this relationship was about money. I don't think that there was this big Correct. schematic. There wasn't this big schematic plan of like, hey, we're going we're gonna to really raise this young man and he's going to grow to be this great football player and then we're going to get a Hollywood script and we're going to be millionaires because of it. So there was, there was, you know, for as much as people want to kill the twoies, there was a, at one point, a love and, and really a selflessness about them when it came to raising Michael. And again, how much of a, of, a, of a job did they do in doing a, of a raising them? I don't know. I mean, I, I yeah. just don't know enough about this story. But maybe they were – Maybe I would assume that they were just like the parents, but they obviously had him sign something that wasn't a full adoption is what I'm getting at or what I've, what I've read. Um, I don't I, – I guess I just – is Michael really pissed off? Let me ask – this is the question of the day. Is Michael just really pissed off, and rightfully so, by the way, that they're making millions upon millions of, uh, of dollars off of a movie that is solely based around his life that he's the one that had to kind of struggle through. And he doesn't get any reap the benefit or rewards of it. If he was making also said millions of dollars from this movie, is this even a, is this even a thing? They, they probably all still love each other. Well, no, because it's absolutely not a thing because this is a family dynamic. You just said that, that they did care about him at some point, but, it, but maybe they didn't. Because how is every other child of the Tuies getting money except for Michael? Because they were a family, right. per the movie, right. per, right. per the stories that, that we all know. 
So if, if they were a family, if they did love him, why the hell wasn't he included in the money that the whole family is profiting off of? I don't get it. Right. I, don't, I, just, I just don't understand how it gets to the point where, where Michael Orr, the movie, is about him, and he's not reaping any, any of the benefits. And the worst lie, the worst lie that the blind side tells. Here we go. Leanne Tui, not that hot. <laughs> not that hot. <laughs> they make Sandra Bullock look like a foxy Cleopatra, and she just, Leanne Tui just ain't that in real life. That's the worst lie. That's all, what I'm mad about. They also investigated this very thing in the movie. People forget about that. At the end of the movie, there's this big thing where, like, the Tuis are raising you just so they can have a star football player and make them a bunch of money. They go to home. Yeah, yeah, literally, that was right. Shout out to that investigator. She was right in the movie. They did that right. Right. They did it right. Right, no doubt. All right. (laughs) More more interesting and fun discussions that we had. Listen, we... When I say we got into a pretty heated debate, I mean, we, we, we did. We got into a pretty heated debate about this top five list of things that we're about to, to discuss. The goal in mind here with this was, hey, since this show started, which is almost coming up upon a year, what's the top five moments within Cincinnati sports that, that, we've, that we've experienced since we've been here? Now, this list, I think, was developed. Obviously, Reed put this list together in singular and or when I say singular, I mean the graphics package. Um, Casey might have, might have uh, uh, are these in order is what I'm getting at? Yeah, but, it's a top five list. All right, it's a top five list. These are in order. Five's at the bottom. And I think the, the order, quite frankly, is where we've had our arguments. The order is without question the problem. I don't think that many of us have, have disagreed on what five it should be. It's the order of operation that I, that I have come to... Uh, Come to have an issue with. Casey, I don't know if you have that top five list, but if you do. Trace, you're going to giggle once you see the let's, top five list. Oh, well. It looks like behind the scenes they've decided to try to do something that's going to make no, me laugh. No, no. I don't it's know. Just, it's just a little janky of a list. It's a little janky of a it, list. It's, it's supposed to be for players, so it's like broken up. Okay. So, number one, I guess we're going to go with Rumble in the Jungle. <laughs> that is kind of funny the way that this is uh, put it on the screen, which is a little ridiculous <laughs> if we're being honest. <laughs> rumble, rumble, rumble in the jungle. Obviously, that's Sam Hubbard's return against the Baltimore Ravens, where he went 99 yards, saved quite frankly the season. If they did not have that happen, then that was the end of the season for the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, I get you could say, oh, they could have gone back down the field and scored a touchdown. The likelihood of that very, very slim. But hey, it was possible, so I don't want to say they automatically would have lost. But that was the number one moment within the Cincinnati sports landscape since we started. Kicking the Bills' ass is what it says on the screen. This is a kid's show. And that's where I have a little bit of an issue with this list. I get that I'm not a Bengals fan, but I also am a relatively insightful sports fan, I think. And I just don't think that's number two. Number three is the 12-game win streak. I think that deserves to be number two, but that's here nor there. Ellie De La Cruz hits for the cycle, and then the Bengals beat the Chiefs during the regular season. That's the top five list. If you in the chat think that there is something outside of that top five list that you believe should be in there, go ahead. Go ahead. Throw it in the list. I have one honorable mention that you guys didn't like because you guys aren't Xavier fans, but Xavier beating UConn on New Year's. That's – come on. They were number two in the country, undefeated at the time. Centos, I mean – I think that's a top five moment, but that's not what we were arguing about. That is not, Trace. Roger says, Cincinnati Cyclones won the division with the huge question marks, all caps. And what division is that? I don't even know, if we're being honest. Isn't it called the CHL? Is that what it's called? Yeah. 
Yeah. Did we beat the walleye this year? What is that? They got got killed by the walleye in the playoffs. What's the CHL stand for? Um, Hockey League. Something Hockey League. um, Continental Hockey League. That could be it. That's a good one. I think that's we're going to go with that because that's that's about the only thing that I could even muster up. Anyway. Uh, here's my problem with this. <clears throat> I don't know how you feel. But put it up. We, we should put it as a poll question, I guess. I get that the Cincinnati Bengals were marching into Buffalo. It was a meaningful game. I, I understand the logic behind maybe you saying that it's uh, it's a little bit more of an important game than some. But let's not let's not forget it was a divisional game. Okay, this isn't this isn't the league championship. Certainly, obviously, wasn't the Super Bowl. And in my opinion. You have to factor in the assumption that goes before something said happens to give it a ranking. If it's, and again, we, we, we've, we've argued at length about the statistical odds of something. Should we just go off of what the most, what, what the most rare thing is? Because if it's the most rare thing, then it could be something completely ridiculous. Well, you got you to gotta balance it out. You got to have a little gray area. The fact of the matter is the Reds win in 12 games in a row, which was the longest streak they had since damn near they started playing. Has to be, in my opinion, more of a more of a bigger moment than the football team that just went to the Super Bowl, winning a divisional playoff game. That's not even an argument, in my opinion. It's it's all the context, Trace. All the context, Trace. It is the Monday Night Football game getting suspended because Demar Hamlin. It is. The fact that the Bills were Super Bowl favorites at the time and were seven-point favorites in that game. It was going up to their field in a divisional game on a snowy day in January and beating the brakes off them. Was it ever even close? It honestly felt like a dream because the game was like you kept expecting, oh, what? when's something bad going to happen? When's it going to happen? Oh, here come the Bills. It never freaking happened. We buried them not six feet deep, not nine feet deep, not 12 feet deep. We buried them to the core of the earth to go to the AFC Championship game for the mm. second time in two years. And we're talking about regular season baseball, which is without a doubt the third best thing that happened in this this city. Incredible. It doesn't happen very often. happens about once a year in, the, in major leagues. And it just happened that this year it was the Reds, the first time they'd done that in 70 years or whatever it was. Incredible for a team that was supposed to only win 65 games. They got, you know, one-fourth of the, of the way there in, in one win streak. But we're talking about playoff football against regular season baseball. Playoffs? It's not, playoffs? it's it's really not close. And I'm I'm gonna check the poll. And it's closer than I thought. I thought it was gonna be. Well, I, here's the thing. Here's here's what you're not calculating into it. That game is phenomenal. I think what you, with the Demar Hamlin situation, the Bengals not getting a chance in home field advantage in the right, playoffs. The coin flip. The coin flip. All of that did make that game. The seven being a seven point underdog. Vegas openly disrespecting the the Bengals. That is a large part of it. <clears throat> On top of that, it's the playoffs. The playoffs mean more than the regular season. It just does. The Reds were a dead franchise. The Reds were a dead franchise. I'm a Reds fan first and foremost. I love the Reds. I love baseball. They're my favorite team in the city. They are. I will, I will cherish a Reds World Series more than a Bengals Super Bowl every time. That's just how I am. That's how I was raised. That's fair. The Reds were dead. They went on this 12-game winning streak. They brought up Ellie De La Cruz. They brought up Andrew Rabbit. They brought up Spencer Steer this year. They, they, I mean, they brought, they, they brought up Christian Encarnacion Strand now. That 12-game winning streak brought this city back. Brought this city back to being a baseball town. 
Because it was a baseball town for a long time. And then it switched when the Castellini stopped caring. They openly disrespected the city with that half the teams are eliminated before opening day. And his little, and his little brunch, right? Phil Castellini has said a lot of dumb things about the Reds. And it, it has ostracized the fan base. The fan base doesn't trust Phil Castellini. They don't trust Bob Castellini. The ownership said they'd bring championship baseball back to Cincinnati. They haven't. They haven't. In fact, they've been openly horrible at it. The only team since 2000 have not advanced in the postseason. The Reds. That's the Reds. There's no other team. The Royals, World Series, Pirates have advanced in the, in the Cueto, in that game. The 12-game winning streak brought Reds fans back. It brought this city together for something other than the Bengals for the first time in my lifetime. This has been the most exciting Reds team I've had in my 24 years of life. And that's a fact. So I would argue that the 12-game winning streak is more valuable. Be and that's just personally because I'm a Reds fan first, right? So if you're a Bengals fan first, obviously you're going Bengals. If you're a Reds fan first, I would say you'd, you'd take the 12-game winning streak every time. The thing, the thing is that we're arguing, and we talked about this before the show started, is it's just we're different fans, right? You guys are Reds fans. Well, I'm, a Bengals I'm, a fan. I'm a Bengals fan. I know, too. no, I'm saying that you're a Reds fan first. Yeah. And I'm a Bengals fan. Trace is not a Bengals fan. I'm not a Reds fan. So this is where the, the argument really, really got heated. The, the, the thing that, that also does it for me about beating the Bills is it cemented the Bengals as a championship caliber team for years to come. You know, the Bengals went to the Super Bowl last year and the, the hottest, the trending topic in the offseason was, oh, the Bengals aren't going to make the postseason. Then they start 0-2 and said, oh, look, the Bengals aren't going to make the postseason. And then we roared back, won 10 straight games going into that, that Bills game, and they cemented themselves as a championship contender for years to come. That's what it was more than anything. I also think the Bengals' season didn't help in general because if you remember during that 10-game win streak, during a lot of those wins last year, they didn't look good. The Bengals looked objectively horrible for most of those games, I'd say. What? what? Oh, I'd say, I'd say so. The Saints game, Tampa Bay game, how many games do I have to go down? They, they didn't look good. The Steelers game when they won 38-31. The Patriots game, there's a ton of games where the Bengals didn't look good. And you could argue you, didn't deserve to win the Titans game. What are you talking what about? Are you ta they kicked the Titans' ass. They kicked. They well, they won by a, a field goal, and and the the they won by a field goal. The the Pittsburgh game that you're at referencing? the buzzer wasn't it? Wasn't it a field goal at the buzzer? No. The the Pittsburgh game that you're no, refer that the, referencing, that the they got a last like second touchdown to make the game 31-38. We were beating them by two scores. And, gonna, and then the, the I think game what this does is it paints a really good picture about how miserable the Bengals fandom has been, and I understand that. It, 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 I, I get it. But the same point can be made about what Elliot said about this Reds franchise. They've, they've, we've, Cincinnati in and of itself has been starving for relatively decent sports for quite some time. They, we finally get some of it, and they have two fan bases, two people that are on, on each side of the aisle uh, that are arguing over relative, obviously, semantics. But I think it's a reasonable debate on which one is, is, is more meaningful than the other. One was a divisional game. I mean, when I tell you the Chiefs roll out of bed and win a divisional game, I mean they roll out of bed and win a divisional game. You don't roll out of bed and win 12 games in a row, ever, ever. I hear about how the Braves are the best team in baseball by far. They're, they're so damn good that nobody's going to be able to beat them. We'll see if that's the case. But my main point is the Braves haven't won 12 games in a row. 
Do you know how many teams that are relatively decent football franchises win divisional games? I'm pretty sure the Patriots, they almost started handing them a divisional round playoff win before the season even started. You didn't even consider the Patriots winning a divisional game for quite some time. There are teams that have played as franchises in Major League Baseball for, for, for 25 years, almost 50 years, and have never won 12 baseball games in a row. That's my point. You, you don't get this. It's not going to come around much again. Uh, the, when, when will it, let me ask you this. When do you think the next time the Reds will win 12 games in a row? And when do you think the next time the, the Bengals are going to win a divisional, a divisional playoff game? I'm not talking about a championship. I'm not talking about a Super Bowl. I'm talking about if you actually win football games in the NFL, your first playoff game is the divisional game. It's not hard. It's not difficult to win a divisional football game. It's just not. It's not special. What is special is winning 12 games in a row. I don't care if it's the regular season. I don't care if it's the preseason. I don't care if it's the, if it's the playoffs. You win 12 baseball games in a row, you're going to talk about it for years to come. For years to come. Elliot will be telling his kids about how he watched Ellie De La Cruz and the Cincinnati Reds win 12 games in a row. He is not even going to remember if the Bengals are relatively relevant about them going up to Buffalo and they were a seven-point underdog because NFL, uh, they, 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 they gave the, the, the Bills way too much respect. The same Bills team, I need to remind you, everybody, that almost lost to the Miami Dolphins with a backup, backup, backup quarterback the week before. It took, it took everything and Josh Allen's might to be able to beat the Miami Dolphins the week before. That is not even close, in my opinion. It's not even close as far as what's respectable and what's more important. What it, let me ask you one question, Trace. Would you rather win the NLDS or 12 games in a regular season? Depends on what I think I have. Oh, come on. You'd rather, you'd rather win 12 games in the regular season than the NLDS? And not only that, not only that, this MLB season... We've had a team go right, it's 13 not even the longest, and 0. It's not even the longest winning three, streak like, of the what, MLB season. Like, what are we talking about here? What are we talking about? Like, there, there's been plenty of other teams that have done it. NLDS is also different because it's a series. It's a seven-game series. It's one DS game is five. DS is five. Sorry. It's all right. But, yeah, I mean, like, if we're, if we're talking about advancing in the postseason or winning regular season games, and you're telling me you'd rather win the regular season games, then that's crazy. I can't argue with that. I just can't because that's bad logic. If you say you'd rather win 12 games than win the NLDS, that is crazy. In 2017, the Cleveland Indians set the record for most consecutive wins. You know what they did that year in the postseason? Lost in the first round. You think they'd rather win in the first round than win those 21 games or whatever it was? I know one thing. There was a movie made about a team that didn't win shit, and they won 21 games in a row. And the only reason, <laughs> the only reason they even made the movie is because they won 21 games in a row. That's a fact. That's a fact. So... If you want to tell me what's more meaningful or what's more memorable, winning an excessive amount of games in a row is more meaningful than winning a divisional series. Yes, you want to point out the fact, you want to point out the fact that, oh, you want to bring up the divisional game because it's, it's, it's right in front it's of our face. Right. We've not, well, the, the Reds haven't won a postseason game since yeah. 1995. So, so, you'd ra so which would you rather do? Would you rather win the NLDS? Because the Bengals, before the season no, no, no. prior, they had not advanced in the postseason this isn't, this isn't about what I would rather do. This is about what's more memorable, in my opinion. What's more memorable in my opinion, is winning 12 games in a row than to win some divisional game, especially if you have a decent franchise. I promise, I promise to you guys, if you go to the World Series this year and go to the NLCS the next year, you will remember each one of those series wins over this 12-game winning streak. No, but 100%. 100%. 100%. If, it's, if it's next season we do that, yeah, absolutely. If it's this season, the 12-game winning streak is what got the Reds here. 
100%. I'm the, Reds, the Reds were a dead, dead, dead team. They won 12 in a row, and now they were alive. And they took the league by storm. I would say that's more important. No, you guys will remember the... If they win the World Series, Series, the World Series is obviously number one. If they win the World Series, it's number one. If they win the NLDS, that, that beats it. But because the, it's advancing... But when I watch Moneyball, to Trace's point, I don't remember them losing the first round of the playoffs. I remember them, the 21-game win streak. I don't remember any of it. Do you remember what the movie showed you to remember? <laughs> like, what are we talking about? I fucking hate that movie. Sorry, I tried. Oh, <laughs> oh, no! Oh, God. Oh, I hate that I don't have a bleep button the, over the here, Oakland Athletics won 100 games. Show. The Oakland Athletics won 100 games for three straight seasons, and they acted like this team was terrible. They had the Cy Young, the MVP. <laughs> they acted like Carlos Pena was a rookie of the year. Carlos Pena was freaking terrible that year. They traded him because he was bad. It's just a, it's a crazy movie. You want to talk about a movie that lies more than the blind side? Moneyball's right there. It's right there. <coughs> the Reds being projected to be one of the worst teams in the league. Are, I think the third worst team in the, in the MLB. Going on a 12-game winning streak to put the season back on track, to put them in contention of being in, for the NL Central race, to, 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 to make the playoffs. And if, and that, if, means, that means significantly more to me. And if the Reds finished below 500, it was all for nothing. Correct. It Correct. Correct. But as of right now... As That's stands, not true. Well... No, 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 no. What he just said is not true. The fact of the matter is the Reds won 12 games in a row, which gives us even a reasonable chance to watch games right now. The same guy that sits over there and told you that, oh, they might win 65 games. But it'll be close. I still haven't the seen same guy, the same, the same guy, the same guy that sat up here and said that this Reds team was going to be atrocious. Can't sit here and tell me that the 12-game winning streak is all for naught if they don't finish 500 or they don't make the postseason. They gave the Reds fans hope again. It gave the Reds fans. I'll tell you this. That 12-game winning streak, in my opinion, did more for Reds fans than it ever did for Bengals fans when they went to Buffalo and won. I can tell you that, and I can guarantee that. It gave the Reds fans hope. It gave the Reds fans life. It gave the Reds fans a chance to watch meaningful baseball for at least another month and a half. Whether they pissed it away or not, I don't care or I don't know. Obviously, I care a little bit. But I, I, I don't want to see her and act like just because they won 12 in a row and they don't somehow win, go to the postseason, it doesn't matter. It rejuvenated this franchise. It made this franchise fans, again, believe in something. Going up to Buffalo and winning the playoffs in a divisional round did not give the Bengals fans one second of belief that, oh, they've, 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 they've arrived. They've made it. It's a different moment. The Bengals have already, they, they've already arrived. It's a year late. If they would have done that the year before, I would even argue, you could make the argument to me, and I would believe it, that the, that the, that the win against the Raiders, okay, the year before, could beat out the 12-game winning streak. That is meaningful. That is a big, big monkey off the back. That's a burden lifted. <coughs> Going to Buffalo and beating Josh Allen and the overrated Buffalo Bills, I don't, I don't think for one second trumps what the Reds or what, what, what the 12-game winning streak did. All right, let's move on because otherwise we're going to sit here and argue <laughs> about this forever. Uh, we have a super <coughs> chat from Drew, Drew Garrison. The Bengals had a long win streak leading up to the divisional game, winning – 11 NFL games in a row ver versus is harder. is harder. I'm sorry. I can't read that far. It is harder than winning 12 baseball games in a row. And I think that's just, I don't think that's 100% true. For I don't think that's true. For what it's worth, in the history of the National Football League, AFL, National Football League at all, only it has happened 30 times 
that a team has won 12 games in a row. There's statistically way more games in Major League Baseball. than, than what, what you're about to say is, is moronic, but go ahead. <laughs> well, I'm just telling you, you're talking about winning 12 games. in the, Exactly. So you got more opportunities to do it in Major League Baseball than you do in the NFL. Keep going. Yeah, yeah, so there have been 33 teams that have won 16 games or more in Major League history. And, and, and to your point about saying that there's more games in Major League, yeah, you got more opportunities to do it. So it's a lot harder to win 12 games. You, two teams have won 12 games this year, had 12 you, games you're, plus you're winning bra- you're, Both of your brains aren't computing the actual real facts. In the of what NFL, like. only one team had a 12-game No, 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 no let's, let's, let's break down this thought process that you, 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 your brains just can't quite comprehend right okay. now. When you have a, a, a billion chances to do something, Correct. and not that many people have done it. So it should it, happen more. It should happen more, but it doesn't happen it's, more. It, it happened more. It's but happened we're talking statistically, statistically, we could, we could, I'll break this down for you. We'll do some math. I'll bring it to the show tomorrow and break it down what the statistical chances of one versus the other are. It's going to be significantly in the advantage of Major League Baseball. Oh, my, by, 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 by the way, how long have they been playing Major League Baseball? How long have they been playing 162 games versus how, many, how long have they been playing in the NFL? A significant amount longer. So before we sit here and act like it's statistically harder to do to win a – dude, let me tell you something. I watched the Pittsburgh Steelers, who were absolutely tr- atrocious one year. Atrocious. They won like nine NFL games in a row. They were so bad, I think they ended up the season with, what, like 11 wins? All right, I digress. We need to put the next graphic up here, or else we're going to sit here for two hours and argue about <laughs> – literally nothing. This is what sports talk, I guess, ends up being. You just argue about a big nothing That's burger. That's right. Which is fun. Top five worst moments. Losing to the AFC title game. Luke Fickle leaves for Wisconsin. Halloween massacre in Cleveland. Two nights in Wrigley. And then UC losing to NKU. I feel like we're missing one that I would, I would argue that should be up there. I think the opening night, opening night, opening day, what's the right term? To week the, one. To the Steelers? Week one loss to the Steelers probably should be on there. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. UC losing to NKU. I put that there for Elliot. I know, but that was a bad loss. Enough. It was a bad loss. They scored eleven points and a half. One of the most embarrassing losses of all time. But yeah, I agree. And with no them. one I, saw it because it wasn't even. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't even on TV. Steelers. Steelers game was brutal. Four interceptions by Burrow and a, and a long snapper that just got hurt. So the thing that hurts about the Steelers game was is we we look. You could take this graphic off, Casey. Um, is we were so excited for that game. Mm-hmm. It was we were waiting. I, I remember texting all my buddies. We get to see Joe Burrow play today. Everything yep. and you show up and first first series interception, second series interception. You're like, oh my god, this is not what I wanted. And then they fought back. And, and then, then you're he, like, oh, we got to win. Oh no, we didn't. Oh, we got a chance to win again. Oh no, we didn't. And then McPherson shanked extra points. So. Yeah, that was brutal. That's a brutal one that probably should have been on there. But the rest of the list I agreed with. Luke Fickle, leave, Luke Fickle leaving for Wisconsin is terrible. Just because he, he, was, he was done with the year halfway through, it was kind of a Brian Kelly situation. He just had no intention of staying whatsoever. That, that sucks. That, when the report came out, I was like, there's no chance. There's no chance. And then after he left, it's like, oh, yeah, he was out after the East Carolina game. It's like, that's kind of – I mean, that's just – that's brutal. But, yeah, the rest of the list I agree with. Uh, you slandered McPherson's name. I don't think McPherson really was the ultimate I, I slandered McPherson's name. I was wrong. Hand up. I was wrong. There's my hand. It's up. And I was wrong. Because McPherson was a great – I think he, they, Reed, Reed gave the numbers 82%. I think we said 82%. So, yeah, I was wrong. 
Well, I'm just saying, I, the, the long snapper, I think, had a lot to do with the fact that there's extra points. Correct. But, 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 you know, I get it. I, McPherson ultimately kicked. Drew Sample. We don't talk about Drew Sample. Hmm. <laughs> Does he have a good RAS score, Casey? Horrible. What is RAS Horrible. score? What is that? Relative athletic score. And who calculates that? It's based off of how you perform in the combine. It com- computes all the averages of all the players that have ever done. So, like, combine. like he was running a 40-yard dash, and that goes into the score? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Your bench, your, your, your jumping abilities, all that stuff. They're trying to compute how athletic the player is. Yeah. Regardless so, of, of, of how good they are as a football player. But how does irrelevant. that matter? I mean, how is that relevant at all? Well, because... Tom Brady's the least athletic human being maybe of all time. Well, you're also... Well, you're <laughs> not just grading quarterbacks. Yeah, though. you're not using quarterback. <laughs> quarterbacks is an anomaly, right? I think quarterbacks is one of the maybe the few positions where you could say that your, 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 your brains could over, overpower your athleticism. I don't know if being a, a tight end... Yeah. Again, I guess you could say you could be a really, really smart tight end, but if you're not athletic <laughs> as a tight end or a wide receiver for that matter, then I, I, you're going to have a hard time in the NFL. It also uh, takes in consideration your actual size and weight. So, Okay. Yeah. Does a RAS score basically is like the uh, – is like uh, war or something. You know? Yeah. It's like – it's an analytical – it's an analytical way to be able to try to look at guys and, and, and uh, pull back the, uh, the layer that is where did you come from and who are you type thing, right? It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a very much just a statistical – nature of looking at somebody and saying this is how athletic they are compared to speak to someone else because honestly i think the kid from harvard that the Bengals drafted the reason the top percentile of receivers the reason he got drafted is because of his RAS score yeah so we'll see how that all turns out i think over the next 10 years you'll probably they'll probably be a little more data that they're going to say that whether the RAS score matters or not uh, we know that our good friend Paul Frischner is, is does not care about the RAS score he yeah, likes good foot he likes good football players casey does like the RAS score because it eliminates you from drafting guys like Drew Sample. Right, Casey? Correct. Correct. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes you might avoid a big bust because your eyes tell you, well, he's a great football player. I've watched him play. He played at Ohio State. <laughs> Interesting. Which, is to be fair, you can look like a good football player at Ohio State because they have a lot of other good football players on the field, and sometimes you get masked yeah. by other football players that are being really <laughs> yeah. good. I could be talking about somebody right now, but I'm not. Yeah, you're not. You know what I'm saying? All right. Um, do we miss? Do we miss any of those? I mean, I, I, that, that's one of the few ones I don't think we're going to argue about. I, it's pretty pretty straightforward in regards to who, what, when, where, and why on on the uh, top five worst moments. Luke Fickle. You mentioned he. You you think he mailed it in? I did. I did. I did think he mailed it in. I think it was. I think you could see it on the field. I think he. I think absolutely they mailed it in. When Which sucks, think- but. It's the way it's the way the sport goes. It's it's the way college football coaches, the way any college coach really in in basketball or football, it's how it happens. They they get the they get the bigger offer elsewhere, which really it wasn't even that much bigger. Wisconsin didn't offer him a ton. It was bigger, but not that much bigger. But yeah, I, I think it was it was from the start from the start he was always going to go to the Big Ten. He always is going to end up at Ohio State. That was always the deal. I think he got upset when Marcus got the job at Notre Dame. I think when when when, Notre, when he was unable to go to Notre Dame because of the optics of going to a playoff, and then Marcus getting that job, I think that upset him. So yeah, I, I think I think he was out, and I think he had a bad attitude towards the season. Luke Fickle's a guy that probably um, should be celebrated in the city, no matter what. One hundred percent. I do think. Yeah, I do I think. I do think. However, you're right. I I, I don't, I'm saying he mailed it in, as in like he wasn't. He didn't wasn't trying to win. He wasn't working hard. I do think at some point though. 
when you're at a program like the University of Cincinnati, it's not just the league that you're playing in, which they were obviously playing in a pretty bad league, but then you also couple in the fact of, of resources that are available to you and what you're going to be expected to do. The, thing, the worst thing that could have happened to Luke Fickle is how much he overachieved at his institution that he was at because then the standard, it gets, it gets raised to a level that is not realistic to what has come to expect for him to be able to do. And I think, quite frankly, he's seen that, he knew that, he knew what was behind uh, his one, and I say one, but his maybe one or two great classes. That's what he had. He had one or two great classes that overachieved. He had Desmond Ritter. He had Sauce Gardner. He had uh, uh, Kobe. What's the kid's name? Kobe Bryant. Yep. Um, he, had, he, had, he had NFL talent at UC. And you can give him all the credit in the world for, for, for getting that. But the reality is, is that he realized, in my opinion, that that was unsustainable that he wasn't going to be able to continue to find ways in which you get that one great class. It reminds me a little bit of, and me and Reed have talked about this before, where it is kind of cool to see some small town schools have one great class come through. Yep. And, and, and it's like that you know inevitably that class, <laughs> there's probably not going to be that perfect mix of, 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 uh, of children growing up in the same community with the same athleticism that all grow up together and they all go out and they, and they overachieve for what their school is usually doing. That's, I think, what happened at UC. I think, and, and, and Luke Fickle knew that. I think he's seen also, in my, in my opinion, the five, I wasn't a five-star, he was a four-star quarterback that came out of Wyoming. Evan Prater. Evan Prater. I think he knew that Evan Prater was not that guy. And it was obviously apparent that he did not think that Evan Prater was that guy because he started Ben Bryant over him all year long when Ben Bryant had nowhere else to go but outside of UC the year after that. It's like, so I think that's when, it, that's when he said, you know what, I, I, I kind of got to start looking out for number one, which is myself. Yeah, I have no issue with, I, I have no issue with Luke Fickle leaving. And I want to make that very clear. If he was sitting next to me in a bar, I'd buy him a beer. That's Luke Fickle. What he's done for the city, what, he done for, what, what he's done for UC football is, is far more than I could have ever dreamed of. But the way he left, which is Brian Kelly-esque, it just is. It's kind of quitting on your team halfway through, and you just expect them to be fine or whatever. You don't really care. And, I, and, and to Trace's point, he, he's right, right? I think, like, you, you see the uphill battle you're going to have to climb once you get to the Big 12, and it's just going to be you having to reset the program again to accomplish what you've already accomplished. I think it was just going to be easier. I think it was for more money, and I think it was for a conference he wanted to be at um, in the Big Ten. So the way he left is my issue. The way he left without caring, coaching in the bowl game for Wisconsin, give me a break. I mean, just give me a break. That was the most insulting thing he could have done, but whatever. But whatever. If he wants to do that, go ahead and do it. I thank him for his service. He did a great thing for UC. Uh, I think it's going to be rough sledding for UC ahead. I, think, I don't think Scott Satterfield is that guy. I think coming into this conference is going to be brutal. I hope I'm wrong. I, I pray I'm wrong, but it's just, yeah. I, Luke Fickle could have stayed till the end of the year, is my thought. Well, that's just the way the business goes, though. Here's, the thing, here's the thing about UC that I think that many people are fooling themselves a little bit about. I think basketball, it helps significantly. But football, I don't think it helps as many people think. They, most people are going to say, well, they're going to get a lot better recruits at UC now that they're in the Big 12. They got a lot more money. And all that is relatively true. But I also look at Missouri, when they left the Big 12, they went to the SEC, and some of those same sentiments came in about Missouri football. Yeah. And it's like, at some point you realize that being the, the, the big fish in the small pond is kind of okay. I know that the, a, the AAC, not the ACC, but the AAC, the American Athletic Conference, was, was not that great. 
But you knew that if UC, what UC essentially was one of the best schools, best programs that you could go to within that league. Every single year, UC was going to win five or six games. I mean, it was just, it was a guarantee. The Big 12, I'm not, do I think that, that, that it's more likely for, for UC to, to make it to the mountaintop? Mountaintop is in college football playoff at a Big 12. Yes, but I also think that UC was starting to get and maybe I'm being naive in saying this, UC was starting to get a little more respect, rightfully or not rightfully, I'm not sure, about what their football program was. They were starting to get the opportunity to go play, and I get maybe you can say Brian Kelly was doing UC a favor by letting them come into U, uh, Notre Dame Stadium and play, but they got the chance to go play meaningful programs. And yeah, Indiana, you might say that that's not a big team, but listen, Indiana, they're at least a Power 5 school they got to go play a home and home against. I think if UC continued to be nine, 10, 11 wins in the AAC, they would have still been of a relevant conversation, especially when this playoff keeps expanding. I don't know if UC is going to, and we'll see. I don't know if UC can hold up and say they're going to win 10, 11 games consistently ever in the Big 12. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong because there's nothing better in this city than when all the teams are good. I do genuinely believe that. I root for that. I know I'm not a fan of all the teams that are in our town, but you know, even FC Cincinnati, I could, I don't say I could care less, but I guess that's the term that comes to mind. I could care less, but I'm happy they're good. Yeah. It doesn't mean that I dislike it or I root against someone else's demise. I'm happy the Bengals are good. It makes everybody in this town much more pleasant. Did but UC football, I don't think UC football is, is, is it going to be in a, as good of a place with the Big 12 as they were in the AAC publicly. No, I, I disagree. I disagree. The, the, the the committee made it openly clear that there is zero respect for non-power schools. It's just, it's open. It's open. That's well-known. It's factual. You see it with the AP top 25 every year. You see, you see how far teams go and how far they can go. UC made that playoff because Oklahoma State lost a game, not because they went 12-0. And that sucks to say, but that's the truth. That's the God's honest truth. So if they won 9, 10 games every single year in the American Conference, nobody gives a damn. Nobody gives a damn. Nobody. There's not a there's not a person with in a relevant program that thinks, oh yeah, you see, they could they could make some noise this year in in the playoff. Nah, not in the American. No, none, no respect. The the good news about UC leaving the American more than anything is for the longest time, and I know UC fans hate when people say this, is it was a stepping stone job. It really was. Brian Kelly, Luke Fickle, who's the D'Antonio. Yep. Yep. All these guys that that bring UC to prominence and then leave and get a better job. Now that UC is joining a power conference that if you're in a power conference and you're winning 11, 10, 12 games every single year, you're more akin to sticking around and, and, and trying to win the national championship from UC now that you're in that power conference, now that you can draw the power five talent that comes along with joining the Big 12. The only the only thing is, is I think UC continues. UC I think continues to be a stepping stone job. I mean, it does. There, there's UC will will always be a stepping stone job because Notre Dame's a stepping stone job. I mean, at some point, there's only so many like there's only so many programs, and I, I get your yeah, point. There's, the there's point is about better, but you're not leaving. I don't think you're going to leave UC for Wisconsin anymore. Like nah, if, I don't if, know about if, that. If you have if Luke Fickle had success in the Big Twelve winning 10, 11, 12 games, he's not leaving UC for Wisconsin anymore. 
I disagree only because I think the Big Ten, the way college football is trending is it's going to be the Big Ten and right. the SEC that is right. left over. Right. So the Big Ten is objectively the better conference. It's the more storied college football conference. When you think of college football, I think I think of the Big Ten and the SEC. I don't think of the Big 12. That's where the, there, there is a debate. But to your point, would I leave Purdue – or would I leave for Purdue to go to – or would I leave UC for Purdue, Purdue. opposed to go to UC, stay with UC? No, I probably wouldn't. But I do think that I do think the Big Ten is more storied, and that's why people would leave. That's fair. The only point that you made, Elliot, that I want to push back on is that you said something along the lines that if you only win so many games in the AAC, then no one cares about you. I think Correct. if you only win so many games in the Big 12, no one cares about you. Did you really care about Texas Tech last year? They went 8-5. and five. Yeah, that's – I, I, I just I just don't think that anyone's even bringing up Texas Tech's name when it comes to football because at the, at the end of it, college football, unfortunately, Casey has the top 25 here. He's going to put up on the screen. The top 25 came out yesterday, and it's the same usual suspects, which is, which is actually the point that Reed has made time and time again about why college football, and we've argued. It's a bad product. We, we, we've argued. I, I love college football. I do. I, I, I love college football. There's nothing better. And maybe – and maybe I could come to the grips of understanding the reason that I love college football is because it's on a better day. I just love Saturdays more than I love Sundays. And I think that's probably some of it. When, when, you, when, you're, when you're in school, there's nothing better than a Saturday. You know you have the next day off. And you know you can just, you, you know, you, you have Friday night that leads into Saturday. And college football is played on Saturday. I love the traditions of college football, but I will admit there's only – Four, four names, five names on that list that you just seen that could win the whole thing. And maybe that's the case for most college sports. I don't know. And maybe you could say that's the case for the NFL as well. But it, it is boring is a strong term. But it is sad that there's just not as many big college football games as you'd like to hope for most of your programs. You see, being, I would argue, and maybe this is a, is a bad <laughs> argument, but being a UC fan is probably more interesting throughout the entire season. If you're a diehard UC right. fan than an Ohio State fan, than a Georgia fan, than an Alabama fan. Because there's only four or five games all year long, as Reed has pointed out, that matter, that are meaningful. Now, the only thing that I would push back on that has changed significantly, and this is why I was against, and I don't say against, I, I, I like the playoffs, but I was against expanding the playoffs, is because even though you knew that Ohio State was probably going to beat the brakes off of Indiana, and you knew that Georgia was probably going to beat the brakes off of Vanderbilt or whoever else, or Missouri, like last year. When it's do or die every week in college football, it brings a sense of urgency that probably shouldn't be there regardless. When, when Georgia is neck and neck with Missouri and it's a tie game in the fourth quarter, my, my heart is like pumping bad for, for a game that probably, if I knew that there was going to be eight meaningful games that year, and you lose one, no big deal. The NFL, hey, they've got it systematically set up to where every game still matters because of, because of the way the playoffs are formulated and, and systematically put together. But they've not done that in college football yet. If you make college football playoff, then you're in the playoff. It's not a huge advantage, one versus four, two versus three. It's just not. And at least that's how I look at it. Ohio State losing to Michigan had no consequence. It had no consequence. Now, you could say that it had consequence in the fact that you had to sweat out the selection show, but in the grand scheme of things, Georgia going undefeated and Ohio State losing to Michigan had the same exact result. They played the same game at the same time. And Ohio State had every chance to win that game, obviously. 
and a consequence because Alabama can't get in. If if Ohio State beats beats Michigan, Alabama probably gets in. You think Alabama gets over Michigan then? Yeah. Okay. That's and that's the other problem with that's the other issue with college football is that there's way too much emphasis, rightfully so, on prestige, on, 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 on hypotheticals. Yes. That's that's what I, the, the game isn't determined on the field enough. That's what I dislike. That's what I dislike about it. Yeah, and I always say that the problem with the, the college football product is there just aren't enough competitive games. How many times have you sat down on a Tuesday or Wednesday and you said? What games are there this week in college football? Oh, there's a good one. It's Wisconsin versus Michigan State. What the frick cares about that? Like, what are we talking about? The fact that as a fan, as a Georgia fan, you, I mean, you had to sweat out Missouri last year, but you didn't anticipate it. Besides that, you're intrigued about three games all year? You, you, you really only sweat about three games, Tennessee game, the Alabama game, the, the, the playoffs and everything like that? That's terrible. Every week that I sit down and watch the Cincinnati Bengals, regardless if they're playing the Texans or the Chiefs, I'm excited about it because I know that they can win or lose because that's the way that the product is. Every game, you say every game matters in college football, every game can win or lose in, in the NFL, and it's great. And it normally comes down to the fourth quarter. It's just a better product. It just is. Well, I think that when you say it's a better product, you are simply basically stating the obvious, which is that the, the play on the field is so much more closely aligned with, with competition, win or lose, as you mentioned, is very, very razor-thin edge. The only thing about college football that I enjoy, again, is the semantics of it, more or less. I, I, I just like the traditions that exist with college football, but to be honest, that's starting to kind of go away. You know, Those things are slowly getting peeled away when you add in the playoffs, you add in the fact that obviously these big conglomerate uh, leagues, they're going to take away from, from, from much of that. Um, but then you ask yourself, does it really matter that Georgia plays Georgia Tech? Does it matter if UC plays Miami? Do we want to talk about that? I mean, I do think Miami actually has a chance this year to beat UC. But if UC rises to the level in which UC is capable of rising to, at some point that game's irrelevant. The UC-Miami the UC rivalry and and – no offense to Miami, but they still hold on to that rivalry. I don't think UC gives a gives a darn about it. Right. It doesn't mean anything. It, it, it's honestly like Georgia Tech, Georgia. Like that don't mean anything anymore, and it, mm -hmm. it, it probably never will matter again. Yeah, but at least that like they have like Georgia and Georgia. Like I, Miami, respect respect to Miami, but I mean it's not even a competition. It's not even the same league. I think Reed was telling me this yesterday. It's just like UC versus Miami is literally not the same sport. It's when they play each other in football. It's not the same product. Well, it's it's Georgia Tech, Georgia. Yeah, it's it's. I, yeah, I yeah, it's just bad. It's just a bad. It's just a bad deal. I, I I think it's a waste of a schedule. It's a waste of a game on a schedule every single year. This is probably I I think I don't know if it's breaking news. Is this this is the last year of UC Miami? I don't know that. I, I don't I don't want to yeah, I don't want uh, to speculate too much, but I I I would venture to say that I can promise you that that game's probably going to go away relatively soon. Keep the only thing on. the only the only thing that I do think uh, to be fair to Miami. I think that you, that game last year was a lot closer than they than, 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 than yeah. Well, they not only covered, but I think that it was a lot closer. It was you could make the case that Miami was a player two away from beating UC, uh, and I think this year you could argue that that, that, that Miami has a chance to beat UC. So I, I don't want to make it sound like it's a, it's a it's a never ending situation where Miami can't possibly beat UC. It just comes down to the point that is what is his, what is in it for for UC at some point. 
there's there's really nothing in it for them to gain. You 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 lose that game, you're made fun of. If you win that game, you're supposed to win that game. That's the problem I that and, I know, but that's the problem that lies with that game in and of itself. And when you can go out and find a better a better game or a or a more high profile game, which is which is going to matter when it comes to college football playoffs, especially when it expands, I just don't see that game sticking around. We'll see, but I, when you hear that, when you hear that UC and Miami no longer play, you reckon back to this situation, which is me telling you that that's not going to happen. Real I hate the zero sum, the zero sum argument because that that's not the better argument in this. It, the, the better argument is that the game just doesn't matter anymore because you, it's so one sided. That's the better argument. It's not that it's a zero sum game and UC has nothing to gain from it, even though they don't. Rivalries matter, but just the fact that it literally the game's very rarely competitive anymore. That's that's the bigger argument. Yeah, no parity. The the issue is parity, and I, every sport has parity except for college football. Yeah, when the, the college football will be better when Alabama's and the Georgias and the Ohio States, the Michigans, all these premier teams consistently are going nine and three, ten and two. That's when the sport's better. I agree. I agree as well. I just don't know if that's the case because here's the situation that's at hand right now with college football. Um, until we move into the NFL here is this college football right now is in a weird and unique situation where the top level programs have everything ironed out systematically to be the best programs moving forward. They have all the resources. They have as much money as one could possibly have. They have the best facilities. They have the best coaches. They have the best programs, which in lies, they usually get the best players and they have the best systems to go about beating said, you know, competition that's ohio state that's georgia that's alabama and you can make this you can make a small argument to me that that could be michigan outside of those four programs right now unless there's this one off those programs are not going to lose they're just not when the hardest when the most talented people and the most talented person works harder than everybody else you get Tiger Woods, you get Michael Jordan, you get things that are just not, you can't beat them. I don't, I know I'm not saying that because I'm a Georgia fan. I just know that Kirby Smart's a psychopath. He genuinely is a psychopath. He came from the same system of another psychopath named Nick Saban. And I say psychopath in the most honest and, 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 and admirable way that I can. It reminds me, those two guys in and of themselves, because I'm so closely, you know, I, I watch them so much, they remind me of like Steve Jobs. Someone that's really, really talented, but is also incredibly, um, I, psycho is the word that comes to mind. Psycho about their own product, about what they care about. Ryan Day, okay, I genuinely don't know. I think that he's, Ryan Day, the third base comment. You know, you, you know who, I'll tell you what. Urban Meyer, psychopath. Yeah, that's that that's what being. wins. That's what wins in college football. It is it is legitimately <laughs> it is legitimately somebody that makes it their life. And it's genuinely when I say it's their life, they can sit there at the press conference and say they put God first and their family second and football third. I'm telling you right now that Urban Meyer, Kirby Smart and Nick Saban crush me for saying it. They put football first. I, I believe they put football over God, in my opinion. That's how ridiculously serious they take it. It's hard to beat somebody that's like that. And right now, that's what you have in college football. Football is God, Trace. That's how we do it down here in Athens.
So, you know, until I don't, I hate to say this about Ryan Day, maybe he's like that. It just doesn't come off that way. It doesn't come off that way. I, when I see Urban Meyer and I see Ryan Day, I don't see the same guy. Do you think Ryan Day is worried that he's ever going to beat Michigan again? Because I don't know if it will ever happen again. Yes. <laughs> that was a good troll. There he is, yeah. out from under the bridge. <laughs> out from under the bridge. Here he comes. What's the riddle today, Reed? That was a good one. I respect it. I respect it. By the way, not to, not to pile on the college football thing, my least favorite thing is that how your entire season is debated on a group of white guys who are just going to sit in a room and tell you, oh, yeah, I think, I, think, I think this was good. I think you played a good game this week. That's, that's, I, I, that's I, the I, biggest joke of all time. I agree. I mean, it's just the biggest joke of all time. You win a game by 15, it's like, well, the spread was 18 and a half. Was it really a good game? No. But that, and that's what they go and that's what they do. So your season doesn't matter. Your season play, matters play to those game. guys. Right. Play the game, right? The I'm NFL, tired of talking about correct. it. Correct. The NFL objectively matters. Every game objectively matters. In college football, your games don't matter. It just matters to eight guys who decide your fate. You, it comes, it literally comes, the fourth spot literally comes down to the playoff show. It doesn't matter what you've done in the year. It just matters to Kirk Herbstreet, whoever the hell they have, they have in that room that they lock up every week. That's what it matters in college football. Is, and that's just a bad place to be. Is there anything better than during the selection show? They keep, they keep showing you the selection show. And it's literally just these guys just like sitting in lounge chairs like this, watching TV and just... That's what they do. That's what they do. I mean, it's the, it's the biggest it's the biggest crock of shit it's I've ever seen. It's great reality TV. It's great. Do you? <laughs> it's, oh yeah, it's a great. It's that, great that's TV. what college football it's is. Great it's, TV. it's reality television. It's all just reality TV. The thing about college football is, and, and everyone that loves college football says this, and it's true, is the pomp and circumstance on a, on a Saturday competitive game. When when all those things align, it is beautiful. It is perhaps the most beautiful sport. When when the when the Tennessee Alabama game happens last year. When all those things come together, it truly is the most beautiful sport. The problem is, is that happens once a decade. It is a, it, it, it is, it is the, 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 the cat five hurricane of sporting events, right? Yeah. It doesn't happen every single year. Everything that you're holding on to, it doesn't happen all the time. It's a soap opera. It is. It's a soap opera, just like Yellowstone. There's the troll again. Yeah, there come he is. Here's the here here's here's where I'm at with college football. I still love it. Do I think there's flaws in it? Of course I do. But I think there's flaws in every product. The only thing about college football that, 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 that ultimately holds it over the other leagues, in my opinion, is the – is and again, it sounds wild, but there's this uncertainty that you're going to see something crazy happen every week. And it's simply because of this. And there's I've come to grips games. with this. There's a billion games. It's like I've, 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 You know what it's like that everybody loves? And that's okay. It's like the NCAA tournament. The NCAA tournament, we do it every year. We talk about how there's how there's unbelievable parity and how and how there's always going to be this Cinderella. You never know who can win. There's and 12 you, Big Ten and, teams and, in. You, and you turn around every year, and what happens? You look at the Final Four. There's blue blood, blue blood, blue blood. Maybe the Cinderella. They play the games in the Final Four. Cinderella gets smacked. It's just simply based off the fact there's so many games on a Saturday that you're going to find a game that's entertaining. That's not always the case for a 4 o'clock slate in the NFL. It's just not. Now, it's not, it doesn't mean the NFL is a bad product. It doesn't mean the NFL is even close to being a better product. NFL probably is clearly a better product than college football. It's just that I, when I know that I sit down on my couch and I do nothing but scroll around the old television tube, I'm going to find a game 
that is very intriguing and very fun to watch. It, does it mean anything? Does it mean something? Yeah, you Probably that, not. That Syracuse, Clinton, <laughs> Syracuse, does it, Miami game. Listen, if it's a six-overtime game and, and, and Penn State's playing Iowa, that's interesting to me. I find it interesting. You might not. You might care less about it. But if it's a f- four or five-overtime game, I think that's that's fun to watch. Does the game actually end up mattering in the grand scheme of things? Probably not. But I again, I hearken back to the idea. I've sat around on a couch on a 4 o'clock slate. I don't play fantasy football because I realized after playing fantasy football for a few years that it, it, it warps your brain into being able to watch sports differently, and I don't like that. So I don't, I don't have a dog in the fight. You could tell me that you can gamble to make it more fun. My main point is that a 4 o'clock slate on NFL Sundays, I don't say often, but there are, there are more times than not than, than college football that the games are boring. And that's my only, that's my only, uh, will be the term. That's my only harp with college football versus pros. And Mr. Mo with the super chat says, Elliot, weren't you and Paul, the ones complaining about conference realignment and college football becoming, <laughs> becoming, being more like the NFL, you know, what helps with making product better conference realignment? I, I mean, it does. I will. That, that's, that's a fact. Yeah. I mean, I, but all the things you just said, the, the pomp and circumstance of college football, that all dies with conference realignment. I mean, that certainly dies with it. I think, I, for me personally, I think it is better. It, it, I think, for me personally, it gives more teams a chance. So I would, be, I would be in favor of it for that reason. But it kills what makes college football special. It makes it the NFL squared. It makes it the NFL, the, the minor leagues of the NFL. Right? I mean, that's what you're doing here. So you think college football is just an irredeemable product? I don't. I, at this point, yeah, I do. I th- because the whole the whole way it's the, the 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 best team in the country is not determined by what they do on the field. It's determined by Kirk Herbstreit. That's 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 my biggest issue with the field. That that's not that pro- that speaking. That part of the issue is never going to go away. Even if it's expanded to 12 teams, you're still debating who gets the buys. And those buys are determined by a group of people who just watch the games and who, and who have objective biases. So that's, that's my issue. Can conference realignment help college football? Absolutely. Can it kill college football? Absolutely. So that's where we are. I don't know what it is. It's, Trace talks about UC being a stepping stone program. Every college in America is now a stepping stone for something else. That's a fact. It's a stepping stone for the NFL. It's a stepping stone for a bigger school. That's what, that's what college football now is. It's not college football. You're not going there because you got a scholarship. You're excited to go there, excited to experience the culture there. You're going there so you can either get money from NIL, you're going there so you can get money from the NFL, or you're going there to make your, yourself worth more so somebody else can pick you up and take you there. That's what college football is now. Can we, can we at least admit something, though, really quickly? I think I have a saying that I've said before, maybe on the show, maybe not. I know Reed's heard me say it a thousand times. More times than not, especially within business, you overestimate what you can do in, in, in one year, but you underestimate what you can do in 10 years. College football as a whole, okay, has come a long way. Do I think it's perfect right now? No. But we, we, are, we, are, we are a long ways away from the days of which they used to just pick the national champion. They used to just play a regular season, yep. and then you had riders just decide, uh, they look like the best team. Colorado. We'll pick them. Yeah. We then moved into some BCS style, which we all didn't love, obviously, because it was a computer algorithm that was then trying to tell you what the two best teams were. But at least at that point, at I'm least biased. at that point, you at least had a game that decided it. It wasn't just decided by riders. The BCS, right, then went to a committee 
And then the committee went to a little bit more of an expanded playoff. The playoff is then now going to expand again. The fact of the matter is we as humans are slow to change, yes, but we as humans usually, usually throughout the course of history, throughout the civilization of us being here, have done a better job of making the world a better place more times than not. Not saying it's the case for everything, but more times than not, the world is a better place the longer you live in it. Now that's to be debated relatively recently, but I think college football is getting closer, Elliot, to being a better product than going away completely because I think what's going to happen is this. The traditions of Ohio State playing in the Big Ten and have to go to to Iowa and Purdue and all these things, you're going to forget about all that because they're going to play more meaningful games. It's going to be a better product. And at the end of the day, you're going to be invested into this playoff system that just like you are in the NFL. So, you know, college football, as much as it has its warts, I think its beauty is starting to shine a little bit more and more. And more and more people at the end of the day want to watch this on TV if there's good games. And that's all this comes down to is how many people can we possibly get to watch televisions on Saturday? And the thing is, is they've realized there's a lot of football fans. There's so many more NFL football fans than college football fans. They've realized that college football, the closer they get it to the NFL, the more and more eyeballs there are on college football. And that's what they've realized. And that's what they're going to continue to try to do. So you can hate the NFL or you can hate the college football uh, powers to be at trying to make this more and more like the minor leagues. But I genuinely think that you will not care one iota in five years about these rivalries or about these, these semantics that go into these games because you're going to get to watch more and more and more impressive athletes on a field play against each other more times than not. The only thing I would like to add to that is is that you know college football right now is what at a twelve game thirteen game maximum for your season, and the way that you if you if you want to keep that pageantry right if you want to keep the rivalries you add more games and you get more college football you get a better product that way as well and correct that that won't happen just because it's football yeah they're well they're amateurs yeah you can't you can't subject them to too many although although we do it's gonna go away they play they play a 16 game season in high school if you make it to the state championship and to be and to be clear i'm going to watch college football it's not like i am against college football to a point where i don't watch i love college football right but it's to a point where the product is bad it's a bad product what you see on the field is not good because at the end of the day it's decided by a group of people so i i don't know I will, the bottom line, I'm not watch, I'm not going to ever stop watching college football no matter what it becomes. Neither will any other sports fan. But it's just fun to debate it. The, the, the main point that makes leagues great, and this is really what it comes down to, there's one reason, there's one word why the NFL is the best league in the world. It's parody. That's what, this is, this is what, this is what every argument comes to be. Whether it's MLB, whether it's the NBA, whether it's college football, And the one thing that we all point to about the NFL and the reason that we all love it is because any given Sunday, anybody can win, and it's parody. That's the reality of the situation. That's what it comes down to. That is why the NFL is elite, and and, and it has an edge over everything else. I think all equal, all equal, if college football had this magic spell and they could find a way to make all of their games relatively close, they'd have a better product, obviously, than the NFL. It's just impossible to do that when you have 100-and-something teams and you don't yeah. have you don't have rules in place like a salary cap to stop the best players from going to Ohio State or Georgia, especially when you add in the fact that they can give these kids money. You you know why the NFL has parity? Like it's not the salary; it's the draft. 
every every team gets to just like can you imagine college football having a draft yes with the first overall pick (laughs) in the 2023 ncaa division one draft syracuse takes and the number one recruit goes to syracuse plays in the dome with the second pick wyoming like that would be great that'd be awesome yeah, Trace. What a what a, what a wild the, world that would be. You see the super chat, Trace? Uh, super chat. Why don't I go down the line for you? So up first, we got Tennessee Martin. Tennis, that's a tough one. Tennessee Martin. Then we travel at home again to Ball State. Ball State's a chirp, tough chirp, competitor. Chirp them up. Uh, South Carolina, they suck. They play Georgia uh, September that's a, 16th. A conference opponent, you can't change it. Uh, UAB, they suck. They play Georgia they September 23rd. They didn't even have a football team three years ago. They travel to Auburn. That's a testy one. Could be testy. A little bit testy. Not really, though. Mm-hmm. Kentucky at home. Right. Mm, yikes. Vanderbilt, they're always a good program. Uh, Georgia travels to Florida. They go to the Swamp. Florida, I don't think, is great this year. Missouri travels at home to Georgia. Georgia, again, and a lot of home games. Wow. Uh, Missouri, again, uh, they suck. Mississippi, they won't be ranked by the time they play, but they're ranked now, 22nd. They travel to Tennessee. That's a good game. Credit to you guys. That was a good one. And then Georgia Tech ends it, and that's the worst game of all time. So, so we're mad. So we're mad at we're mad at Georgia for 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 scheduling the way that the college football has has <laughs> no, decided just, the way the way you want to schedule it. The I'm truth just, of the matter is is that Ohio State realized, or excuse me, Georgia realized that there's a pathway to the college football playoffs. It's a hell of a lot easier. And they looked at the Big Ten schedule and they looked at what Ohio State was able to do and Michigan was able to do last year. Two programs. Quite frankly, I don't know how Ohio State they, lost to Michigan last year. If we're being completely Texas, honest, though? what's that? Didn't they lose Texas on their schedule this year? Who's that? Georgia. Um, I don't because believe that is possible, Casey. I don't know. I don't know enough about that. I just know that for a long time, and you know, Georgia, you could sit here and say that uh, I'm not here to defend Georgia. They, they, they are who they are. But Georgia's also the same team that scheduled Oregon before, before most college football programs decided to go out and, and play big programs. They also played Notre Dame a few years ago as, as a home-and-home. Home. They played Clemson for multiple years as a home-and-home. Home. They, they've, they've played teams that are outside their league that are very, very good. But the truth is, is at some point, Kirby Smart realized you don't need to do that. There's really no point in doing that. Until they expand college football playoffs and you need to actually have meaningful wins outside of your league, why would you go outside the league when you're, when you're already assumed to play in the best league and you get credit for playing in the best league? That is, that's not being smart, or that's not being just, just being uh, non-competitive. That's just being smart. No, I agree with you, which is why, again, to Reed's point, it's just why I think college football stinks. Because right, these, any more competitive games. These group of riders, they give Georgia the number one overall, uh, number one over, uh, number one overall slot yeah. every single year. Not they every can, single year, but... Okay, uh, top four. And so they can schedule these cupcakes, right? Do your job and you're in. You, you, don't, you never fall. And that's my issue. My issue is that my issue is then at that point the only that's a fair point. If that's the case and that's the that's the point we want to make, then I would also remind everybody that the reason that most SEC schools don't go out and schedule people is because they realize that if they can get into the playoffs, they're going to beat whoever the hell they play more likely in the playoffs than not. If they run up against a TCU team, a same TCU team that Michigan couldn't handle for some godforsaken reason, they they beat TCU by seventy. If TCU played in the SEC, they'd have four losses. They just would. Yeah. This is this this is one of those things where but that's again, why I think it's better. It's way better that it's way. It's better. The the product gets better when Georgia is nine and three almost every year. The product gets better when Alabama is ten and two almost every year. 
not when they are just sweeping through the conference schedule, sweeping through the schedule. They played two tough games, and oh, now they're in the now they got to win two games to win the national championship. But no one wants to talk about Ohio State because the Big Ten has been garbage for a long time. Okay, I would the, the, the Ohio State the college football is better when Ohio State's going nine and three, ten and two. That's fair, but it's not. Better. It's just not. It's just not going to happen. And the reason it's not going to happen is because there's no parity involved. Because the best players go to the best schools. It's just that. That's that. That that. that yeah. That's the real root of the problem. All right. Um, jolly jolly. No one said it isn't smart, but it's the it's the root cause for all of this chaos. TV networks ain't paying. Well. The truth is, is the TV networks, the TV networks are paying Jolly Jolly for the college football playoffs, and you get a rev split for getting to the college football playoffs. So the reason as to why all of these programs are trying like hell to schedule whoever they can to get to the college football playoffs is because the TVs are paying for the college football playoffs. So, who should we blame? I don't know. All right, um, there was NFL news. I don't know if it matters. I don't think Reed thinks it matters at all. I don't know if I, I don't know if I think it matters a ton. Um, how good is Dalvin Cook still? I don't know. But he's going to the Jets. Shout out Hard Knocks. I don't know if you guys have seen Hard Knocks. I asked you the other night to, to come up with, um, I think we do like a book club around here. And when I say book club, I don't read books a whole lot. But I say we make it like we have to watch a show club to where we report back, we give a rating, and here's the game. You have a rating in your mind of what you think the show is on a, on a scale of, of, of 1 to, should we do 1 to 10 or 1 to 5? That's I want to see if we can get as close to matching up our scores as possible, or we'll see if one person thinks that something is, is, is way off. So okay. my point is, if you love Secession, like Reed admitted, it's my favorite show. you say, hey, has anyone here watched Secession? If someone says no, then you can assign them that they have to watch the first episode of Secession. They have to report back with said watching the Secession. By it. We'll give it a week's time. We, we can't force everybody in here to watch a show every single night or something like that. But you report back. You have a rating in your mind of what you think it deserves on a scale of 1 to 10. And then Casey has his, his idea, or whoever it may be, and we match the scores up live. We have to say them at the same time. Okay. So there's no bias. There's no bias involved here. The chat can get involved. Maybe the chat has some suggestions on what we should be watching. And then the chat can give their ranking on what they think said product should be. Um, I did watch the first episode of Secession last night. It was interesting. And... I won't give a rating on it, but my point is, is that moving forward, at the end of the show today... Roman was a little bit of a jerk in the first episode. Uh, perhaps. Just he had a family in that episode. Yeah. <laughs> he had a family forgot. in that episode. Yeah, let's, right. let's, let's not ruin the show, okay? We're not going to do spoilers oh. here. We're not okay, going to do spoilers. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're not going to do spoilers. But what we are going to do is at the end of the show, on what is today? Tuesdays? All right. Uh, I'll come up with a better term of what it is on Tuesdays. But anyway, at the end of the show on Tuesday, we'll come up with a, we'll come up with a show that we have to watch by next Tuesday. And we'll give our, our report back. Um, so, if you're in the chat, you can start drumming up some ideas. We have about, what, 20 minutes left in the show. You can offer some suggestions. And if we don't have anything on the top of our minds that we think someone should watch 100%, we don't have to just, you know, play dumb. You could dig into the chat a little bit and see if you can come up with something that we will watch uh, together as a suggestion. All right. I don't know. I don't know. I can't talk out of both sides of my mouth about this running back thing. I do think running backs matter. I do. I think they matter more than people want to give them credit for. I understand that the liability that is with the running back, you don't want to extend them. But in and of itself, I think Dalvin Cook going to the Jets matters. How much it matters, I don't know. I certainly think Ezekiel Elliott's on the other side of the hill. I don't know how much it matters that he goes at Patriots, largely because I don't know how good the Patriots are anyways. 
you're 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 are you just completely out on any move or where well, are you at so, on this? So let me say two things. One, Ezekiel Elliott going to the Patriots. Talk about a move that like quite literally doesn't even wiggle the needle. I mean, what what does that do for either party? Are the Patriots all of a sudden contenders in that division because they get Ezekiel Elliott? No. Is Ezekiel Elliott any closer to becoming a powerhouse in this league or, or close to getting a ring? No. What, what that does nothing. Absolute zero sum move in the NFL. But let me let me kind of scope in my take about running backs. Running backs matter in the National Football League. It's not that they don't matter. The problem is is the talent pool is it, the, the, the being the best running back. The drop off to the tenth best running back isn't that steep. It's not like the it's not like the quarterback position where Patrick Mahomes to Kirk Cousins is Mount Everest of a cliff. You can you can not pay your running back, get somebody that played college last year in the third round, and still have a really good running back more than likely. That's the take. It's not that they don't matter. It's just that the talent pool doesn't diversify itself quite quite frankly. Christian McCaffrey's an exception. Guys that can do special things is an exception. Guys like Tyler Algier from the Falcons, who are like seventh pick or maybe even undrafted, got a thousand yards rushing. It's more about the offensive line, in, in all honesty, than it, than it is about the running Correct. back. That's where the, the the problem therein lies: is that it's a dependent <coughs> position on the team. Can we at least admit in here, though, <clears throat> that I think that there is an upper echelon? running back or there are upper echelon running backs that make a difference they are not just the average person they are going to be a person and i say person as in player that takes your offense to another level that it can't possibly get to if you didn't have them you can't automatically replace every single running back with just anybody and put them back there and assume that the production is going to stay relatively the same i just don't believe that i just don't now you can make the, the strong argument and it's been already pretty much proven in the NFL that the depth at that position is very, very significant when you can just kind of throw a lot of guys back there in the difference between maybe a four-yard run and a six-yard run or a four-yard run and a five-yard run between a great player and just an average running back is probably more times than not the same because of what you're talking about. But I, I think that there's this naiveness that comes into the idea now that in the NFL, you could just throw anyone back there, and as long as they're relatively decent at being a running back in general, that it's going to work itself out and it's not going to make a difference. I think if Joe Mixon, and maybe there's lightning in a bottle for him, and maybe you could make the argument that the Chase Brown kid that they got is going to fill the hole that, that, that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But I think having a Dalvin Cook type running back and you put them you put him specifically on the Bengals, I think it makes the Bengals better. Just just maybe arguably just enough better. Just enough better that that's what gets you over the proverbial hump that requires that it requires to get you to the Super Bowl or to win the Super Bowl. And now that is very subjective. Me saying that is outlandishly crazy to think that that is something that you could point to and say, though, that was the difference was that they got Dalvin Cook and they didn't have Joe Mixon. But I just think that we've gotten ourselves similar to a lot of things in this country in life is that you go so far off one way and you start to realize you're wrong 
that you overcorrect and you go so far the other way. I think we're so far the other way on this NFL running back thing that it's somewhere a little bit more closer to it does matter who you have back there. We'll find out who it is. I think Dalvin Cook makes a difference. I think if Dalvin Cook plays for the Cincinnati Bengals versus the Jets, I, I think Dalvin Cook is one of the few guys. And again, you could say he's washed up, maybe. You could say maybe that, that he's not the same guy he used to be. But I'm telling you right now, if he's somewhat close to the same guy he used to be, and you put Dalvin Cook with Joe Burrow in the backfield, I, you can't convince me that the Bengals aren't significantly better. So once again, sco- scoping in the the take is that it's not that Dalvin. If Dalvin Cook was the was the running back for the Cincinnati Bengals, they would be better than with Joe Mixon. That's you, you almost can't argue that. It's are the Bengals better with signing Saquon Barkley, Dalvin Cook for I think Dalvin Cook's getting like eight million dollars, which actually is not a bad deal. But like Saquon Barkley for fifteen million. And having Jonah Williams at left tackle. Or having Orlando Brown and Joe Mixon. Which is the better Bengals team? We know what it is. There's better ways to use the dollars because we know that the talent pool for the running back position is so thick. It is so diluted because almost anybody you could throw back there can get 1,000 yards if you have a good good line. We've seen that with the Chiefs. We thought Kareem Hunt was, was fantastic. He goes to the Browns. He's not even their starter. Of course, Nick Chubb's in front of him. That's a great I thing. Get it, yeah. And then they get CEA... Um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in yep. the first round. They think, oh, they're, they're getting a running back for the future. Well, the next year they draft Isaiah Pacheco in the seventh round, and he's their running back now. It's just that the pool is so diluted with, with talent that you, could, you can get a guy for $3 million, and it's pretty much the same thing as a guy for $8 million. I also don't think the running back, I don't think, is the factor in winning a, a Super Bowl or having a Super Bowl-like run. I think if you look at the Super Bowl winners for the past, I don't know, 20 years, 15 years, a lot of that is because of the defense, it's because of the receivers, it's because of the offense. I don't think a lot of them have to do with the running game. I really don't. I think you can have – you certainly need to have a good running game. That's not what I'm right, saying. Right. I'm just saying that position alone doesn't factor into the decision of you winning a Super Bowl. When was the last time you looked at a, a team that was near the top in the league and you said, you know what? They're a running back away from winning the Super Bowl. You've literally never had that thought come across your mind. You've never once looked at a team and said, what gets them over the hump is Dalvin Cook. I think that never only, had that thought. the only position, though, you could argue that you say that about is the quarterback. I don't think, no, because no. you say that about wide receivers. You say that about the Bengals, really? the offensive line. Defensive you say, line. You say, you say if we get an edge rusher, we are yeah. championship contenders. We get a lockdown corner, we are championship contenders. Never once do you say that about a linebacker or a running back. The Rams didn't beat the Bengals in the Super Bowl because of their running backs, their quarterback, or the receivers. They beat them because of the defense. They beat them because of the defensive line. There are four positions that – five positions that are matter so much more in football. Quarterback's number one. It's in a league of its own. Then you've got offensive line and defensive pressure, and then you've got wide receiver and cornerbacks. But we're talking about one specific position. Outside yeah, of maybe one tackle, the, maybe a tackle. I could, I could take a tackle, and I could take a defensive end. Those – so quarterback, tackle, defensive end. Those are the three positions I could argue. Maybe, maybe, maybe if you had quarterbacks, especially quarterback is the cream of the cream. That, that, that is, that, that is, the, the, we all know that. That's the weird thing about the NFL that we all just sit here and we all know and we all acknowledge, but we want to act like everything, everything is all this mightily important. The truth is, if you don't have a quarterback, you're not going to win. You're just not, period. The Jets are probably a good example last year. They were a hell of a team. About as good of a team as you could possibly have without a quarterback. And they basically were nobodies. They ended up being nobodies. So outside of the quarterback position, 
Maybe you could convince me a tackle, and maybe you could convince me a defensive end. But you know what? That both of those positions directly directly correlate to the quarterback, which is the only reason they, 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 they they're, they're important. Whether you can protect the quarterback or whether you can get to the quarterback, that's the truth. Outside of that, I'd put wide receivers. I would argue a single safety, not both safeties, but a single safety, Corner, a cornerback. single cornerback. They're all relatively the same to me. You have an elite corner, it's almost the same to me as having an elite running back. And when I say elite, I'm talking elite. You can't tell me that having Adrian Peterson isn't, isn't just as valuable as having like Darrell Revis. I mean, we're talking I, I, the elite you, of the if elite. If you're, if you're talking, if you're talking, if, if I could have... If I could have Darrell Revis in a third-round draft choice for a running back as opposed to having Adrian Peterson in a third-round draft choice in cornerback, I know what my decision is every day of the damn week. If you take Darrell Revis off the field, the other team's going to score. If you remove Joe Mixon from the Bengals' offense, we're still going to score. But you're using Joe Mixon as your example and not Adrian Peterson. Okay, if, we t if you remove Adrian Peterson, they're still going to throw the ball to a receiver who will then score. If I remove a cornerback, the position is gone – a wide receiver takes a touchdown for free. You've got to be able to run the ball. That's that's true. You've got to be able to have an effective run game. 100% true. The the thing we're saying is that you can almost do that with with any any top 5 round draft choice. So, Alvin Kamara. I, I just I, you can't convince me if you put Alvin Kamara on the Bengals that they aren't damn near impossible to stop. Like, uh, genuinely. You're, we're not arguing that we, if you, we get a better running back, the team's not better. That's not what we're saying. We're I understand. We're saying that there's better so, ways to, to, to go about we'll see your roster. And I, and I, go ahead. I, what go I would ahead. argue, Trace, is that the guys that you're, that you're trying to describe as running backs, like McCaffrey and Kamara, half the time they're out in the slot. Half the time they're out playing at receiver or they're running a route. And that's, that's – that's part of the running back position now. Yeah, but what we're saying is that the running game, if you're just going to take and look at the running game, it does not take a running back. It takes a really good offensive line to really have a good running game. You can get by, you can get by with anyone as long as you have a good enough push. As long as you got – I mean, I, the best example is really the Kansas City Chiefs. The right. best example is the Kansas City Chiefs because they just put any Joe Schmo back there and they're going to get three yards push because they have one of the best offensive lines in football. And see, I think, look really I, good. I, I, I mean, think the Pacheco kid, Pikachu, I, I think that I think he's, he's in a situation where Pikachu is a lot better than people want to give him credit for just well, because he's a, he's a seventh round. Okay. But it's a part of the running back position. It's a part of the running back position. Just because Joe Mixon can't block and Joe Mixon can't go in the slot doesn't mean that that's not a part of the position. You can go get a guy that can do that. Dalvin Cook can do that. It matters. It, it, I mean, I'm not going to – and again, we'll see how it all ends up. But <clears throat> until you get a guy that's elite at the position that's not just a runner but also can do other said things, you don't know, in my opinion, what it could possibly do for the offense. I think there's one guy who, who solidifies your point, and you haven't even mentioned him. It's Derrick Henry. I think Derrick Henry takes over that offense completely. The offense revolves around Derrick Henry. It doesn't revolve around Ryan Tannehill. But you see how far that gets them, right? But they also don't have what, what the Bengals have. If, 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 if Joe Burrow played instead of Tannehill, they wax the Bengals. And when I say wax, they wax the Bengals in the playoffs the other year. 
I mean, Tannehill was a walking interception, and it took a miracle 60-yard field goal and a 50-yard field goal for the Bengals to beat the Titans. I, I, I just, there's not a single position on the field. Ah, there's maybe a couple, but if you give me the, if you, I can pluck the best player in the National Football League at that specific position. It, I'm going down a list, a long list, before I want the top running back. I want the top left tackle. I want the top right tackle. I want the top wide receiver. I want the top tight end. I want the top edge rusher. I want the top interior defensive lineman. I want the top safety. I want the top cornerback. And then maybe, and then maybe we're talking about taking the top running back. Yeah, because then you're thinking, well, maybe I want the second best tackle, the third best edge rusher. You know, like, well, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's just. Who's the best running back in the league? CMC? Yeah, I would say No. CMC. Okay, or Saquon well, Barton. Saquon? Whatever, whatever you want. Whatever we, you do we say, watch the NFL? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Well, I would rather have What do you CMC mean, what do I mean? You guys are sitting here telling me to your straight face that you think CMC is better than Saquon Barkley. I mean, listen, I promise you I'll do this for you guys. I'm going to buy the NFL Sunday ticket so you can watch all the games. <laughs> okay, regardless, the point wasn't about who the best running back is. Is Just give me the name of whoever you think. I, I would rather have the third best right tackle in the league than CMC or Saquon Barkley. I'd rather have the second best edge rusher. I'd rather have the third best cornerback than CMC or Saquon Barkley. Truly mean that. Because I 100% unequivocally believe that the Bengals' offensive production in the run game will flourish as long as they get, as long as they have a great offensive line, and they get a running back every three years. Every two to three years in the top three rounds. Okay, I, I get the point. I'm just saying that we, we I, I, I'm going to stand here and I am going to fight for the running back position because I think that it's gone too far over the deep end. I'm not going to sit here and listen to people tell me that they'd rather have a second defensive end or a second tackle before they'd, have a, they'd rather have a running back. Well, the running back's on the field every single time there's a snap in the NFL more times than not. It's just that that's just the truth. Just because, and again, you can say that you you think it doesn't matter. Well, you you think it doesn't matter because you're worried about other things that are semantical in the game. Where if if you had an elite running back that catches the ball in the flat and he's able to take that said Jamar Chase is a perfect example. You can make the argument that you wide receivers are a dime a dozen in this league more times than not. But there's a select handful, there's a select handful that changed the game. Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, you've got to see two of them do it every single week. And you know what? You guys don't want to get rid of them at all. Don't. At all. Don't. You know why? Because you have not seen, in my opinion, Joe Mixon's great. But Joe Mixon can't block and he can't go out in the flat. And until you get a guy that can block and can go out in the flat, you don't know what you're missing. We're That's how I feel. I would argue that Joe Mixon could go out in the flat. What he can't do, what he cannot do, what, what separates him between McCaffrey and Kamara is he can't run in the slot 10, 15 yards down the field and make a catch. Like, th those guys are different, and I will agree to that. But to me, they're not even running backs. They are, they are something else, yeah, in my opinion. Listen, Trace, I hope, I, I, I hope for your sake that the, argue, at the argument that you're, that you're pushing, I hope that your favorite football team goes down that path. I hope the Green Bay Packers draft running backs in the first rounds every couple years. I hope when they do draft a guy in the first round, they give him second and third contracts and keep him in that backfield for eight years. I hope that they do that. 
I hope that what you want out of a team, I hope that they see that. I hope that the Packers get an elite running back and give him a second and third run contract, and I want to see how good the Packers are. You know what I hope happens the next time? You know you know what I hope happens the next time that my team is in a position where they can win the Super Bowl? They go for the Super Bowl. They don't sit there and think that they're smarter than the rest of the league, and they go out and they try to find little other other end guys. They, 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 they yeah, they go out and get the top, top uh, linemen in the free agency, like the Bengals did this past year. They go out and get the top lineman. The Packers have the best lineman in all of football. They've had it. In fact, they've paid the lineman. And he's well, not like and he's alluding, not been healthy. He's not Packers been healthy. I feel draft, like you're alluding Pat, that the Packers, Bengals aren't aren't trying to win championships here. No, Packers. what I'm alluding to, what I'm alluding to is that I always hear this idea that it's like the Bengals, right, have this window of opportunity that is there forever. And I get Joe Burrow came out and said, Oh, our window is for however long I'm here. Well, we'll see. Damn right it is. We'll we'll see. We'll see, because I'm going to tell you right now, I watched the best football player I've ever seen in my life, arguably the best person to ever play a position, couldn't have done it any better, over a long period of time, and they not one time addressed needs that they could have gone out and helped them because the position had depth to it. They never went out, and they went, never went and got them a, a first-round wide receiver. They never went out and yeah, got any. They, they never win. got any. Right, because those are positions you need to do that in. The running back isn't a position you need well, to do and that. they didn't they win. What's that? They didn't win. They won one Super Bowl. Okay, they have won one Super Bowl, which is still an accomplishment. I'm not downplaying what, I, what, I, what I got to witness. It is. But what it my, is. My, my, my point is, my point is, is that you just assume that it's always going to be there and you don't need help on the offensive side of the ball. And maybe you can lock up Jamar Chase and you can lock up T. Higgins. But I'm not going to stand here, and this is the whole point of the conversation, I'm not going to stand here and think to myself that if I were the Bengals and I, and I had an opportunity to go get Dalvin Cook, I would have done that a hundred times out of a hundred before I sat there and assumed to myself that I'm going to keep Joe Mixon around. And maybe it's because he took a pay cut, obviously, and then go get Chase Brown, which Chase Brown, I'll, I'll put my hand up and say I was wrong if he ends up being better than Dalvin Cook. If the, if the options were Jonah Williams and Dalvin Cook as opposed to Orlando Brown and Joe Mixon, I, I know what I'm taking. And I'm not thinking twice about but it. But there's still money left on the table. There's still money there. You act like they couldn't have gone out and gotten Orlando Brown and gotten Dalvin Cook. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's, an avo- that's a void argument. They could have gotten both. Yeah, but this is also going to be Joe Mixon's best line that he's ever been behind. And Joe Mixon's also old. And so is Dalvin. Dalvin, 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 Dalvin. Okay, you, could, you can bring up the injury problem. That's fine. Uh, that's fair. We'll see. Dalvin Cook has been a much better running back, in my, in my opinion, than Joe Mixon ever has. Dalvin and that's Cook Joe is Mixon's a year been, older than Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon's been great at being a running back. He's been fantastic. So I'm not, I'm not downplaying what Joe Mixon's done. He's we'll see been, where it goes. He's been a thousand-yard rusher every year, except for the last one that he's been in the league. We'll see. And played the full season. I just think if I were – again, we'll see what happens with the Bengals. I think that they're in a position where they've done their best to try to sure up an offensive line that they knew they had problems with, and they've swung and missed a little bit on that. And that's not their fault because guys have gotten hurt. In the most meaningful games, you guys have had Jackson Carmen trying to protect the quarterback. Yeah, because right, yeah, because yeah. I mean, they, they don't say that they swung and miss. Ted Karras was great. Kappa was great. Viola was great. Right. They were they were they were great towards the end of the year. Yes. They were great. They just got hurt. Players get hurt, and now you got to add depth, and that's what they're doing. They keep getting linemen. They keep getting linemen in free agency, because that is shown to work in the league. Worked for the Rams when they won their Super Bowl. The Rams won the Super Bowl because they had an elite defense and they had a guy on the Correct. defensive line that was very, very good. 
And they also had a really good offensive line because they went out and got the best lineman in free agency and Andrew Whitworth and, and gave him extension. And, and kept the refs up. gifted them the game. Referees gifted them. That's fair. They did make uh, the refs. There's a point to that. Shout out Drew for that point. They did keep a little, right. little in the salary cap for the refs in the Super Bowl. Yeah. It's always the refs. It is always the refs. Damn right. Whenever the Bengals is. lose, it's not because of their play. Yeah. It is only because either the right. refs shake them be. or because they didn't right. have good enough running back play. That's how it should be. That's fair. I mean, there was holding. There was holding. There was a holding call in the Super Bowl, and there was also a block in the back on the punt. Did you got? I, I. I. This is a more of like a fun question than Bengals fans. I've broken prod a little bit here. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is when I pulled the Reed Mouse. Did you guys finally get a kicker like a punter? Like, do you yeah, think that, yeah, is that is that, is that shirt up finally? Brad, Brad I mean, Robbins. there for the longest time, I was wondering if it was a high school kid that was punting the ball or if it was actually an NFL guy. Brad Robbins. We got another. We got another. He's Michigan. Get is this those. one gonna work out though? I hope. The last I mean, two punters. Yeah. He, looks, he looks good, Trace. All right. I hope. I mean, we, I, I hope Trace, so. what's more valuable, the running back position or the punter? Uh, that Here we go again. <laughs> what's more important, Trace? Well, I'd like There's to think 22 that if you, have a, if, you have a good, if you have a great running back, you don't need a punter. There's 22 starting positions. The running back <laughs> is like 15th in importance. Okay. We'll see. We'll see. One point I want to make up. I, I did see this. Everett Henry. Uh, shout out, Everett. Everett said, well, look, look, look what happened to the Giants. Okay, well, the Giants' defense was absolutely atrocious. The Giants, oh, by the way, well, were, were, were playing in the same exact game. They, were, they, were what, they, they, they won the wild card game, and then I think they lost the divisional game. So I guess the Bengals got one step farther than them. Come on. <laughs> they, they did. I mean, the Giants won a playoff game. The Giants' offense was the reason as to why they were good, and they ran into the they they ran into the a buzzsaw that was the Philadelphia Eagles. I know you're not making an argument that the Giants' offense is what made them good last year. The Giants. I, I know you're not. I, I know. I know what I'm saying is Daniel Jones was their quarterback, and I also know that if we're going to sit here and act like Saquon Barkley is a good example as to why you don't want a running back, it's laughable. It's laughable. It's like it's it's, it's crazy to sit there and be like, well, you point you point at a team's success and you say that oh, that's how that's how good that person must be. I mean, it'd be like, oh, look at Kyle Pitts. He's a terrible tight end. For, for what it's worth about this whole running back argument, it's not like it's going, like, without proof in the league. Like, consistently, the Super Bowl winner is either on a rookie contract or a veteran cheap-ass deal. It's never an expensive running back. Never. Never. It's, yeah. it's, it's, we're, we're not, we're not doing this because we, we have a, we have a gut feeling that the running back position is overvalued. We're doing it because it's shown its hand. That's fair. But when you have a, when you, when you have a window of opportunity to win the whole damn thing, I think that again, I, I don't know if I'm putting my faith in a, into a rookie and, or, um, there were, there were bigger problems than the running back last year. The bigger problems were the, were the line getting depth at the line. Right. Okay. Right. Pressure. Pressure. They drafted a. They drafted a the defensive end. They dra- drafted a pass rusher in the first round. And depth in the secondary, which we knew that we weren't going to re-sign some guys. So we're going to go out and draft guys in the secondary. No, I mean, listen. In my, I, I obviously every argument turns into this thought process that you can't be one way or the other. Um, do I think the running back's like the, 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 the premier position of the league? Of course, I don't think that. I just think that we've gotten to a point right now where we just assume that anybody you throw back there is just, they're, they'll be fine. You got a good line, they'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Until I see don't. that not be the case. Until I see that not prove its point. Until I see the Chiefs go out there and just have a terrible running back, I'll believe it. 
Well, I think the Chiefs have an elite running back. Well, they got him in the seventh round, and they got the guy before that. That's the argument that sucks because I think Tom Brady was drafted in the seventh round too, which I guess he sucks too because that's, that's all that matters. <laughs> is where, where you get drafted in the draft is actually your real value. Your real value is where you get drafted in the draft. Jackson Carmen, really good tackle. Drafted in the second round. Pikachu, drafted in the seventh round, not any good. That's how it goes. All right. Um, wrapping the show up. It's 12 o'clock. We need Ohio to come. Cup tonight. Ohio Cup. It is. Reds. Guardians now. Breathe. I think... 640. The thing about the Reds' season going forward is they should not determine whether or not the Reds' season is success, whether they win the division, whether they make the postseason, whether even if they go over 500. The Reds' oh, here we go. season here should teeter on whether or not they bring home the Ohio Cup. This is the only <laughs> thing that matters. you got to win state championships, and that's what tonight's <laughs> game is. It's not a game against, in the major league, interleague play between the Guardians and the Reds. It is a state championship on the line. Right. And this is all that matters. Well, 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 the Cubs are playing for the Chicago series as well. So we'll see who is the, uh, the rightful holder of whatever cup, whatever term you, you want to use. You got to be, yeah, you, no. Okay. You're talking about they played before is what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, we'll see what happens. Uh, the Reds, they're in a situation where they got to tread water until they get back some, 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 some people, um, whether that be Fraley, whether that be India whether that be Green, whether that be Lodolo, they just need to keep treading water. Every time they win a baseball game um, is one step closer to treading that water successfully, and obviously they were on a path of looking like they were not treading water at all. It was a sinking ship about as fast as a sink could ship, it felt like, on that Sunday in Pittsburgh. But they, they, they won the game, give them credit, on that uh, Sunday afternoon. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Obviously, as always, Chatterbox Reds will be going live after the thing. Another quick announcement I want to make that probably isn't, all that quick and we'll make a bigger to do about it we will have a uh, i see people in the chat saying we need to do a post-game bingle show we will be doing chatterbox bingles we'll have more on that later this week uh, but we are doing a chatterbox bingle show post-game for all of the uh the bingles I, I you guys can elaborate on that is that are we doing any preseason games at all or is it going to start we, we are yeah we plan on doing one this friday so we're, we're we're just ironing out all the kinks ironing out all the details and we absolutely plan to to have the first ever Bengals Cincinnati Bengals show, and we're we're giving you a little inside baseball here because we're gonna announce it on our social media in the coming days. But we're just we we, we absolutely plan to have a post game show for the second preseason game this Friday. We got some other content too, but we'll leave it for that for right now. Also, uh, another thing to note: I did see the people in the chat said, "Oh, the golf thing's never gonna happen." Blah 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 blah. We we made a tee time. Uh, tee time is scheduled for Thursday at twelve thirty. We will be going out to uh, Twin Run. And then, um, unfortunately for uh, Elliot's course, home course, they don't allow you to make tee times a, more than a week in advance, which I don't think they do that at most courses, to be fair. I'm not trying to, like, that's not a, that's not a dig. Well, no, course. that was. That was a dig. <laughs> that was a dig. I mean, that was absolutely a dig, but that's okay. I, I picked a course that was easier for you. I thought it would be an easier course for content to be filmed there. But if you, if we want to go, if we want to go to Houston Woods, if we want to go to Aston Oaks, and we'll play a full 18, I don't care. Wait, I'll you be out there all day. Houston Woods a home course? For me, yeah, I, I dominate. That's like, a, that's like an, that's a. Yeah, it is. It is far away, but that's how much I dominate that course. So it is a tough track. It is. It's a tough track. It's tough. It's tough, but I love the course and I play it well. So that could be a home course. It's whatever you, whatever you play your best on. That's your home course. So you picked you picked what course again to be to be specific? I'm picking Woodland Woodland Golf Course it's on the west side. It's only nine holes, CRC course, easy to be filmed. It'll be it'll be two nine hole matches, one at mine, one at his. This week's will be his. 
And then I think it's up for debate for the chat to, see, to figure out where we go for the third one. Because the third one, if it, if it comes to be, needs to be somewhere where we probably both don't have any familiarity with, Correct. at least the best of our knowledge. Obviously, if Correct. we played there one time 10 years ago, that's one thing. But we need to find a place that we think that we could possibly get on. The chat can suggest it. We'll try to come up with a, a, a reasonable place to go that's not too far away. But I do want to say I don't believe it's going to get to that. We'll see how it ultimately goes. But we will do, we'll be doing the first round of that on Thursday at 1230. And I think we're going to try to edit that thing up and have it for socials um, probably Friday morning and or Thursday night. We'll see how it goes. I don't know what we don't know what that's going to look like. My bet, my bet would be, I, I think an ideal situation there would be either you, you have it ready for the next match. So I would think, right, we premiere it when we go out for our next match is what was my idea. Okay. The only thing is we'd have to be pretty stone cold. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be, yeah, I'm going to be stone cold about it. You won't see my reaction at all. All right. Well, then we'll do it that way. That's fair. We'll do it that way. Um, all right. This is the part of the show where we have to come up with something that the other person has to watch. Um, I don't know if this is the cherry on top. We need to just probably, uh, obviously keep, keep in line. Casey, do you have the ad reads ready to rock? Because as always, we need to pay the bills. That's part of the show. But the other part of the show is the cherry on top, which, you know, again, we're, we're getting our feet wet here. At least I am. Um, I'd like to keep things moving in a positive direction. I'm assuming we don't have a cherry on top. If you want to, if you want to get the, the jingle, if you, you know, if you want to, if you want to be a little scantless, want to be a little scantless and, 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 and see what drunk Reed did on the cruise. Oh, big words. Boy, boy, do I have a, boy, do I have a minute of fun for you guys? Yeah, baby. So that, reason, we have a, to see that now. Is, yeah, there, I got it. is there a reason you're wearing an angel's hat or is that just... I like the angels. They're a lot of fun. Fair enough. Okay. This is the United Dairy Farmers. Cherry on top. I got to give some background on this. This is Reed Mouse. Take it away, Reed. We are on the Lido deck and I had made my myself known throughout the cruise as a loud guy, a guy that isn't afraid to, to go out and the cruise director pointed at me during this during this party on the Lido deck and said, hey, I want Magic Mike to do this on the Lido deck. There are kids in that pool and I'm giving my best. I had a couple Patron shots and I was having fun. It's, it's a full minute of fun, <laughs> but I am wearing pants, no short shorts. What is that? What? Well, we had dinner. We had we had we had seated dinner. And I did the flop, so my shirt pants are very very dirty. My favorite part is. <laughs> I took a shower. <laughs> Too much fun. Cruise director Andy put me up to no good. I had to go change. But I had fun. That's why you should go on a cruise. They're a lot of fun. I know one thing. Um, you'll never see a video of me doing that. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how intoxicated it would take for me to, to get to a point where I think that that's going to be a part of my life. But I don't think that is, I'm ever going to get to that point. Which is shout out to Reed. Good if, for Reed. If I well, I like being the center of attention. So wow. However, I can get it. That right. the, the, if I couldn't hear the screaming and I haven't watched the video in a while, if I had to guess, it was probably Mariano. She, yeah. she she's the one who took that video. Fair enough. All right. Um, quickly, let's go around the room. If you do, you have something that everyone should watch. 
Johnny Manziel doc. Johnny Manziel doc. Have not seen that. Mm. Have not seen that. I, I have seen it, so I can't take okay. that one. All right, so we'll, we'll go over that. That's my homework for you guys. Um, I have to. Well, I. Well, I, before we go on, you Johnny Manziel doc. Casey, have you seen that? No, I've not. All right, Reed's not seen it. One of those two has to pick that. Who who, who wants it? You want to play rock paper I'll, scissors I'll, for I'll it, or do you Johnny Manziel doc? Sure. Johnny right. Manziel doc. Casey, do you want it? I'm going to give you a chance here. I mean, I I was going to watch the. Giant well, I mean, if you want it, then I think that you play rock paper scissors to get to get to get to see who watches that. If if you think that it's one that you you don't want to take the chance on the next two because you only have two more options here. Okay. Then you got to play you got to play rock paper scissors on on one. I'll to watch be okay. It. I'll take my chances. All right, he's going to take his chances. He's he's forfeiting it over. That's what Casey usually does. He's a nice guy. He's going to let you watch the Johnny Manziel documentary. <laughs> All right. Well, it's gonna be a damn shame when one of us say Barbie or something in case he gets stuck with that. <laughs> I'm a I belong to two religions, guys. One's Roman Catholicism. The other one is Sunday night HBO shows. Whatever okay. HBO puts out on Sunday night, I'm going to watch. Currently, the show that you've watched and I have watched, second season of the Showtime Lakers is back. Okay. So I would recommend to watch the the first few episodes of the first season and then hopefully you get hooked up to, to that. So I'll take I'll take that one. I haven't seen it. Showtime Lakers, I haven't seen a lot it. of fun. People forget that show destroyed the relationship between Adam McKay and Will Ferrell. A lot of people for, don't talk about that. Oh yeah. It was they did a lot of movies together. Uh, it was Adam McKay's baby and Will Ferrell wanted to be casted as uh, John C. Riley's character. It was uh, Bus. Is it or yeah, is, yeah, is yeah. Bus? Yeah. Um, so Will Ferrell wanted that role, didn't get it. So now they're not friends anymore. Well, it's funny. So we've already brought up this secession. The executive producers of secession were Adam McKay and Will Ferrell, which is funny because it's equally a, a it's more, more of a drama, but it's very funny at certain times, very dry humor. But as the seasons go on, you stop seeing Will Ferrell and Adam McKay, executive producers, and I believe you just see Will Ferrell at the end of it. Not so. friends anymore. So I'm going to watch it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that my a college go. Okay. Um, there is a show that is also on HBO Max. I guess we're just going to stick to HBO Max shows. Here. It's the best, it seems it's best like, streaming service. Best yeah. streaming service. Uh, there is a show. I guess Casey's stuck with this one, unless sure. you've seen it before. But um, stick on that same point. I've seen this. I think I might have even seen it twice, but long before, uh, about a year and a half, two years ago. The Larry, I don't know the exact name of the show, but it's the basically Magic and Larry. It's not... Showtime. It's not the. It's not uh, the. Yeah, it's not the yeah. winning time. Winning time is what you were talking about. Yeah, it's the documentary of those two's relationship. I thought it was a really good documentary. Have you seen that? I have not. All right. Well, then you have to watch that. There's your homework. So, so, so now, I'm. I'm basically stuck with whatever. Whatever. Whatever you do. And then I also. I. To be fair. To be clear to the public here. I couldn't even watch what he suggested because I've already seen it and I've already seen what Elliot said. So I am stuck with whatever you give me here. Uh, I'll give you a funny one. Jury Duty. Have you seen Jury oh, Duty? Oh, Jury Duty's really good. I did watch, to be fair to you, I think I watched the first episode of Jury Duty. I'm willing to give it another chance, though. Should I, How long? By the way, the other rule of this is it can't last for more than two hours. It's got to be two hours or less. you gotta give, you got to give it two episodes or something like yeah. that. Those episodes so like, are quick. Which is yeah, fine. I'm just, I, my my, my point is that you can't tell someone they have to watch you know four four episodes of Winning Time. It's right. like, that's a little much. You now, if they want to, if they throws. want to, all, all, all well, but... I think two episodes in a season. Is that fair, chat? Is it fair to say that you should watch two episodes within a season before you give it? I think it's fair. Before, before you yeah. judge it by the book of its cover? Yeah, yep. sure. Yeah, sure. Okay. That's fair. So, jury duty. Yeah, two episodes. I'll, I'll watch the first two episodes. I'll come back, let you know how I think about it. Okay. All right. 
Well, we've we've talked about a, a plethora of topics. Yeah. The show started in a serious manner. We I thought we had a really meaningful conversations, and then we diverged. We started talking about meaningful moments, and we had an argument about really semantics of a bunch of stupidness. And then the show just kept getting more and more stupid as we went on because it is perhaps one of the dumbest shows out on the internet, which is probably why some of you like it. Some of you can't stand it. I don't know what you do. But nonetheless, we're going to come back and do it better than ever tomorrow. I can promise you that. Tomorrow, Wednesday, we'll be back. Until then, you take care of yourselves. Tell somebody you love them. Go to sleep tonight. Don't be mad at somebody because that's what Tracy Jones told us. And Tracy Jones decided that he didn't want to follow his own advice, which is 80% of success is just showing up. So next time I see him, I got a lot of beef with Tracy Jones. Until then, take care of yourselves.